right, well, you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy a beer in McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a, a quarter pound of cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pound of cheese? They get the metrics. Welcome to the Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Hello. What's going on, everybody? We are tonight's entertainment. How's everyone doing? We got an awesome... We got a super pack show for everyone. We got uh, an awesome interview that Tony and I recorded um, late last week with a poet and author named Jalen Sala, um, all about masculinity and film that's going to air at the end of this. Tony and I are going to talk about a couple of new movies and theaters, which is The Banshees of Inishirin and Tar. But for right now, we got another guest, second time on the program. You know him on Twitter as Intoxicated Fan. We know him by Mick. Mick, how you doing today? Hey, guys. Hey. Uh, thanks for having me again. What an honor. Uh, I'm doing really well, man. Awesome. Yeah. Glad glad to have you back. <clears throat> Very glad to be back. Uh, we have, I, I agree, man. This show is going to be fun. You sent, you sent me the, the list of categories, and I'm just like, okay, my head's going to explode live on YouTube. <laughs> That's cool. Let's go. Got to see what we could fit in here. Yeah, man. Yeah, we got um, a lot of awesome topics, mainly determined by Mick, because apparently Tony is making people fill out questionnaires now. I like how you say that. Did you, Mick? Did you make? Did you feel like I made you, or was it an okay thing? No, I I liked it, and uh, see, you know, you. yeah, like honestly, like I did it on a Saturday, like Saturday afternoon. Like he sent it to me, and I sent it back within I don't know two hours or so. You did, you did. So you know? so I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was. It's more curiosity killed the kitten. You know, we always talk. And, you know, I was just seeing yeah. what, what, what you like. For yeah. sure, man. Yeah, it's actually perfect because now we actually have topics to talk about during the show. Heck yeah. It's supposed to try to, like, put uh, people like, hey, I want to be in the show. It's like, okay, what do you want to talk about? Like, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? What do you want right. to talk about? Well, you asked. Right, right. So it actually works out quite well. We are going to start off this episode with a movie battle like we do most episodes. This time we have a Harry Styles movie battle. He has uh, two movies that came out earlier this year. One is a film I think everyone has heard of called Don't Worry, Darling. Um, he's co-starring with Florence Pugh. It's got Chris Pine in it, Kiki Lane, Nick Kroll. It's directed by Olivia Wilde, and she co-stars in the film. Uh, you can see it right now on HBO. And he also starred in a smaller film. It's called My Policeman. It's directed by a fellow named Michael... Grandage, Grandage. Um, that movie co-stars Emma Corrin, Gina McKee, Linus Roach, David Dawson, and Rupert Everett. Mick, I assume you've seen both films, My Policeman and Don't Don't Worry, Darling. Which one did you prefer? I want you to just talk about both, since um, let's use this as an excuse to talk about both films. Beautiful. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so. Uh, quick lead into this uh, my exposure to one harry styles before watching both these movies over the last two days uh was kind of remembering his name from dunkirk 
and then uh, more recently, uh, I had to learn one of his bass songs for a show that I did last year. Oh. Um, so yeah. Uh, so other so than watermelon sugar, it was yeah. <laughs> yep. Wow, look at this it's guy. A catchy song. <laughs> it's a catchy it's song. Got a, it's got a nice bass line too. Not something I really listen to in the car, but yeah, you know why not? Apparently, um, his albums are quite good. Like they're they're very well respected. Yeah, his okay. first solo uh, album is not bad. And his his latest album got nominated for like a bunch of Grammys. I don't know. I don't. I only listen to some, some of his singles are bops. Right. Um, Watermelon Sugar is I think a bop, but anyway, it's I interrupted. Not a bad song. Sure. Um, so yes, uh, so I didn't know really much about this guy. Um, I guess I'll start with Don't Worry Darling because I watched that one yesterday uh, and then I watched the other one today. Um, so I knew a little bit about this movie as everybody did because it's very infamous for many reasons. Um, and then that, that hilarious uh, press circuit that they went on where like literally everything went wrong and all this information leaked out. Um, uh, so, so naturally, you know, I, I knew who was in it. I didn't really know much about it. I think I might have caught the trailer uh, a couple months before I saw it. But uh, anyway, I this is a weird movie. Um, it's a convoluted movie, and I've, I've been thinking yeah, about me, how. Let me set up the movie. It's go ahead. Yeah, I feel like it's very step word wivesy, where we're set in like this 1950s um, city and town in the middle of uh, California desert, where the Everyone is is impeccably dressed. Women are wearing very big, fancy dresses, and men are dressed in suits to the nine. Um, the men go out and work all day while the women are at home cleaning and cooking for the men. And uh, it seems like a utopia. And then um, Florence Pugh's character goes out to the desert and things start to go wrong. This town isn't what it seems, and as the movie kind of goes on and on, you kind of figure out the mystery of why are things so weird and happening to Florence Pugh. Yes. Uh, well, let's start with Florence Pugh, because I think uh, there's there are two very strong uh, parts about this movie, and I think she's absolutely one of them. Florence Pugh is an absolute beast. She's a juggernaut. She's one of the best actors going today. And... Um, yeah, she's she she steals absolutely every scene. Every shot is improved when she's on, you know, when she's in frame. Um, she's pitch perfect, tonally perfect in the movie. You could tell she completely got the script. I actually think she understood the script more than the director at some uh, point. shots fired at Olivia Wilde. I'm just saying, uh, I don't hate her or anything, but the, the movie is messy, and we'll get into that. Um, at least it was for me. Um, why do we why do we spend some time talking about don't worry darling before we get into my policeman yeah yeah absolutely that's that's what um, um, uh, i'm doing tony here. i saw on our instagram that you were fawning over don't worry darling sure. did you really like this movie it seems like you did i liked the movie i liked I, I mean i liked it quite a bit more than i thought i was going to like it i liked how weird it was mm-hmm. i actually liked it better than both versions of the stepford wives um i found it to be more mind expanding um is it a perfect movie by any stretch or means no but i found it to be entertaining the twist was a little bit here oh. and there but we'll, we'll get into i think the twist is just chris, absolutely horrific but. but just chris pine though himself made up for that twist i thought his performance was 
pretty pretty good in that movie. He was really um, good. Um, I think everything was good about it, but I also don't think it's a perfect movie. But I think this movie is a lot better than the initial critical reaction. Yeah, because the original, I yeah. feel like the original critical reaction was like, "Fuck this movie." Yeah. This movie yeah. sucks. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> and it, it's definitely not that bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think the first two acts are really entertaining and engaging. Um, the third act goes down, yeah. Yeah, to, to Mick's point, yep. it's it's really carried by Florence Pugh, who's mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. Like, even like watching her in Black Widow, like a, a random Marvel movie, you're like, oh, Florence Pugh's like the best part of this movie and yep. she's going to be a star. And like watching this movie where it's like a you know quote unquote more respectable and prestige movie, it's like, yeah, Florence Pugh absolutely kills it. And for for two acts, I was like, I think it's a little long, but for the most part, I didn't really have a problem with it. Cause like I think it is engaging and weird enough to to keep you entertained. But like once you once that third act happens and once you realize what the reveal is. Like emotionally, it wasn't that bad for me, but like when you think about it for all of two seconds, like, oh my god, this is you needed to rewrite this ending because that is that is it's well, a ending, garbage, it's a really bad ending. Oh, yeah, the ending is god awful, but, uh, but up until that point, yeah, uh, up until that point, I think it's it's actually like a, a like you can see why this movie was greenlit. Um, well, I, I could see though, but honestly, I thought the ending was better than my policeman's ending. But that's just my own personal opinion. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. Um, what did you guys think of Harry Styles in the movie? Because infamously, like it was supposed to be Shia LaBeouf, and I feel a lot of people were like, "Yeah, Shia LaBeouf should have should have been in this role." And I don't know. I, I thought he was fine. I didn't think that the movie didn't the movie didn't ask him to do too much, and I thought he did fine. Well, when he was he doing his role of, of a husband, you know what he was he did fine. Yeah, I I thought, um, hey, you put anybody opposite of Florence Pugh, they're not going to be able to like compete. Okay, so I think that didn't help him. Um, so it also doesn't help that like he also has to share scenes with Chris Pine, who is infinitely more charismatic and more of a screen presence than him. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you mentioned you mentioned Dunkirk before, uh-huh. where I th- I thought he was really good in Dunkirk, but that movie really doesn't ask him to do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um. But overall, I mean, again, like when I first heard critical reactions, it's like, yeah, they should have like Harry Styles is like so woefully miscast. You're like, he can't act at all. I'm like, it's he's not like amazing by any stretch, but he's not no, like he's not like fumbling over himself either. He's he's competent enough. He's and yeah. I was gonna say to be honest, it actually probably worked best for the film because all the Harry Styles stands when it's all this this movie made money for his really dumb of a marketing campaign as as this was and the whole like did he spit on chris pine oh, and gosh. the whole whole debacle about did shia labeouf like voluntarily leave or was mm-hmm. he like it was the worst like i feel like they kind of lead into it and it was a really bad marketing campaign and ultimately like the movie made money so okay whatever sure it was but i think i think the movie's just fine personally i liked uh my policeman a lot more yeah, I just think the visuals of, I mean, you're taking of how many movies has she directed before? One other. She directed Booksmart. Booksmart, yeah. And, okay, and I know directors, we talked about Spielberg last week, and he's, I know even on his 27th movie, he couldn't make his movie look as good as that movie looked cinematographically. 
I was going to mention the cinematographer for the, the for this movie is Matthew Libatik. Yeah, he's he's an incredible cinematographer. He he is absolutely incredible, and that and that was my other strength for the movie. Doing that in the movie probably, my policeman would have won probably for me Mm because I didn't think my policeman was bad by any stretch or means. I just, I mean, my policeman was more to me a story I've seen over and over and over. Yeah, I could kind of say the same for Don't Worry, Darling, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. It felt familiar. Both movies yeah. felt familiar until the ending. Um, yeah. One I thought was a pretty good ending. One I thought was a bad ending. Well, yeah. yeah. So let let me also yeah. set on my policeman because I think definitely I don't know how many people have heard about this. And to be honest, I didn't really hear anything about it. So like the reveal of that uh, Harry Styles character was was queer. Like it, the movie like set it up, and I should have known better. <laughs> but like it worked even more effectively for me because I didn't even read the log line, which is. <laughs> it's essentially like uh it's so what do you think it was about just a policeman just hanging out in his hometown. You know, like they're, they're that's my policeman. It's my policeman. That's <laughs> it. I honestly no, I, I get it. It's better. It probably would have been way cooler to know, not know that. In that, in that um the movie is this uh like relationship between characters Tom, Patrick, and Marion in the England in the 1950s, where um it's like really character driven where Tom and Patrick are queer and start a relationship. But then Tom ends up because he is a policeman. He's a titular. It's Harry Styles. Um, ends up marrying Marion, you know, because he needs to um, put on a public face. And it's kind of like navigating that relationship. And then these flash forwards to the three characters. Um all hanging out because the older Patrick gets sick and moves in with Tom and Marion. But uh, this is like a movie that on paper shouldn't work for me. And you're right. This is like, we've seen like love stories and love triangles, like since the beginning of like the written word, but there was something about this. And I thought it was just so well done. I thought the pacing was perfect. It didn't drag. It didn't linger. And Again, because the relationship, because I'm dumb, like I didn't even pick up on the, the fact that like Harry Styles was queer. Like, even though she's like, oh, he hasn't kissed me yet. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah you know what the most absurd thing out of both movies was? And you're probably going to disagree with me, but here is this man who he's had this relationship with. He's staying in his house, but he doesn't speak to him until the last frame of the movie. He doesn't see him. Come on now. Come on now. That that isn't that isn't what I would call good filmmaking because number one, why not? Because he it hurts too much to look at him. That's what I gathered. He he made a, a decision to leave that life behind that world. You so know, his love for him decides to bring him in. Yeah, see, that that, that was the part that was a little weird. I'll Me give too, you that yeah. one. Yep. A little. That's the whole plot. The whole plot is she's taking care of his well, lover. In the other room, although it does make sense, their marriage could not work. So she's like right. that old. Oh, well, I, she, she felt guilty for yeah. for what happened to him. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. So that, a, that, that part means that to part make amends. Is the val- That's the whole string that makes it work. But I, I will say, like the actual like motivations, I didn't mind, but it felt like the the flash forward or whatever the the present day. Mm-hmm. didn't quite match the like how it ended like how that relationship ended in the 1950s 
Like that part was like, that's kind of weird. What you were showing us didn't quite match that whole relationship that you literally just laid out for us. Well, she was just pretty much like, and I want you two to go into that room and continue your love. And I'm going to leave. Take care. It's like the end of the movie. It's like, you know. But the the movie's not so plot driven where like, I didn't care about how specific plot details. It wasn't, but it wasn't a bad movie. I did not find it to be bad. I actually found it to be quite entertaining, and I thought Harry Styles was way better in My Policeman than he was. And yeah, I agree with you on that one. Yep, absolutely. I I, I like this movie actually better than Don't Worry, Darling as well. Um, and I actually liked the ending. Uh, call me crazy, but it it kind of worked. I do agree with you and what you said, Tony. But uh, but I do think that if you look at it from the perspective of her just be enough is enough like my husband is who he is i need to get on with my life you know i've i've you know i've been like we've been living a lie this entire time i have a little bit of life left i'm gonna let you be you and i'm gonna be me yeah and you're absolutely right i think it was more of the way you bring the man in you lay out the whole story and then she's just like and right. I, I will say, like, I, I mean, How I do absolutely... you know they're going to be rekindle their love. He could walk right in the room and be like, get the hell out of here. And it's like... Well, she she not only, she had his journals and like she lived part of it. Right. Yeah. That, I like that's the, the, that's the... I like the parts when they were yeah. younger. And the... like you said, it made it made sense. But the hairstyles, Emma Corman, David Dawson, 1950s aspect was like, I mean, it's it's basically that is the, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um. I I found their relationship absolutely engaging and enthralling. I I really love this movie. Um, it's not the type of movie like on paper. If you tell me it's like this, like Oscar Beatty, like will they, won't they? Right. Um, story about like characters and their relationships to each other. It like I, it has all the signals of like nope, that's not the type of film for me. Well, I thought the acting and the like how like how it was portrayed and. Again, it didn't linger like this type of movie, like made poorly or in another director's hands, is an extra half an hour because there's there's more shots of people just like staring at each other in the eyes. Um, and she she was like reading the notebook like she like this was like all news to her, but like it wasn't. But like, like when yeah. the, when the movie went like when she's when they're in the cottage and like she realizes that uh, her husband is gay. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what? Then did you not realize that? Bef-? The movie like made it seem like she didn't yeah. realize it. And that part was like kind of weird. Then I didn't like that part. But overall, I thought everything else was just so strong that I, I, I overlooked that nitpick. I agree. And and I thought that same thing. But and, and I think they made the mistake of using the journal to as like an excuse to go back in time. Like every time she'd read something, oftentimes it'd be followed by, you know, a scene in the 50s. And but like yeah, there's there's definitely like, well, like you already lived it. Like you already saw it with your own eyes. He's basically already confessed it. Yeah, it should have just been like bookend of he comes into she like maybe reads the journal and then the sure then don't go back to them until the very end or something, if you even right. need to do that at all. Which, sure. by the way, they didn't even need to do that because I think the story is basically this 1950s, you know, love triangle. Right. That's basically is the movie. And I, I thought it was it was excellent. Like, even if I like Don't Worry, Don't Worry Darling, I'd, I'd pick My Policeman because I, I thought it was, it, this might make my, like, my top 10 films of the year. I, I liked it that much. Eek. Wow. Yikes. I, I <laughs> loved it, man. I thought it was, hey, I hey, thought it was beautiful. Hey, hey. 
I liked as, it as well. As Dalton says in Roadhouse, man, opinions vary. I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, I just think the cinematography in Don't Worry Darling for a second time director. I just, that's, that's, I mean, Matthew Lopatine, like I was trying to quickly look through his MDP. He, he is like a legitimate cinematographer. He's yeah. very well respected. Um, I bet you, like, the whoever. Wait, so he took a movie that, if he wasn't a part of it, would be unwatchable and made it a movie that is actually way better than people thought it was to be. He, and here's nobody a couple... even talks about the guy at all. Right. Um, both movies had excellent cinematography, in my opinion. Uh, although, I don't know, I don't think we mentioned this yet, but Ben Davis shot My Policeman, who has done three of the four Martin McDonough films, which oh, is a really cool that. callback to last podcast. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if someone had seen the Banshees of Inisherin, we can talk about that on this podcast, Dude. considering the last time you were part of the Martin McDonough movie battle. Uh, the only day I had this whole week was it, we got like a ton of snow and then my my uh, daughter gets uh, a double ear infection and strep throat. So take her with you. Yeah. <laughs> now that's next. I get it. Yeah. I, I was pretty bummed about it, uh, but so hopefully I'll see it next week. When, when Banshees, like when, when, cause I had a veterans day off and normally my kid is with the nanny and the nanny called in sick. And I'm like, I'm still seeing this freaking movie. Sure. Like when the kid went down for a nap, I went to go see it. Oh, nice. So the wife chagrin. I was like, I'm going, I yep. plan to see this movie. Um, it's real good, by the way. Spoiler alert. You'll love it. Hey, I'm shocked, but I can't wait. Um, the set design for um, Don't Really Darling is, I think, probably its best aspect. I think it looks incredible. It's See, I just, think, I just think my policeman, it, there's so many scenes where it's dark and a movie that you're trying to bring to the light. Like when they're sitting in the house and he's sitting in the bedroom, it's all darkly lit. Where I, I don't know if, just just personally, I think a little more light would have did the movie. Because you, I mean, how, between the both of you, Adam, I told you about the movie. You said, I, oh, I never even heard of that movie. Uh, Mick, when I told you about the movie, you go, what? Never even heard of this movie. <laughs> so if this podcast wasn't happening tonight, you both probably wouldn't have watched that movie. And I can guarantee I would not have. Like that said, on paper, like if I had like like I had vaguely heard it in passing, if I had gone because it's right now streaming on Amazon, I don't think I mentioned that earlier. If I had like seen a preview, I'd be like, nope, this movie is not for me. It's it's gonna be boring. Let's get nominated for an Oscars. I'm just gonna ignore it. And I'm glad I did. I I like I said, I absolutely loved it. I think I sounds like I enjoyed it more than you guys, but I I'm, liked it quite a bit. I like that. I, I just I, I bring back a lot of our past conversations where you say things like Oscar bait. I know like it's that. it's not and the it type of movie. I everything like that. So now I got to take every time you say Oscar bait to say, what about my policeman? That was great. All right, uh, is it a three way sweep for my policeman over Don't Worry Darling? No, I'm taking Don't Worry Darling, but All you right. guys win with the two over one. Two to one. All right. All right. Another movie you can see on a streamer. It's on Peacock. It's Jordan Peele's Nope. Starring uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Young, and a cameo by Keith David. Again, we'll start with the guest. Mick, what did you think about Nope? Um, well, considering I literally ended this movie, ran to the bathroom to take a leak, and then jumped on the stream, uh, I'm still processing it. But I liked it a lot. Um, I, I like, you know, Jordan Peele's obviously a very good filmmaker. Uh, Get Out is already like a classic um and uh yeah he, he he's funny he's he's gifted he 
he, he knows how to shoot a movie. Um, I like this movie a lot. I enjoyed it. I, I was engaged. Um, I was immersed. Like a, a lot of times when I'm like into the story of a movie, I, I kind of just it, like to enjoy the journey. Uh, whereas like the Harry Styles uh, movies, uh, I was more kind of aware of like what the director's doing, what the camera's doing, just because I wasn't a hundred percent in, at least for my, uh, don't worry, darling anyway. Um, but this movie, I was just like, yeah, let's go, man. Let's go on this journey. Uh, and I really liked it. I, I really, truly liked it. I don't know if it's quite get out level. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that question. No, no, it is not. I, I don't think I would. Uh, yeah. I don't think it is either, but I think it's good. I, um, I haven't seen us. Uh, so I can't speak to that, but I like this movie a lot. Tony, what'd you think? Hmm. <laughs> Do you want me to speak negatively first before you speak negatively? Well, yeah, you go first. Yeah, I have negative things to say too. But I mean, um, go ahead. I thought this movie was just fine. Um, I realize, like, I feel like nobody like makes just like made up stories anymore in the sense of like everything has to be like here's here's like how movies affected me in the past or like with the Fablemans or Empire of Light coming up. Sure. Or uh, Armageddon time. Like nobody can just like tell like just creative stories. And so to Jordan Peele's credit, he's getting the money to do so. And I walked away with, when this movie ended feeling empty, like, okay, well maybe I missed something. And I like read a lot of reviews and listened to people I trust. And I was like, Oh no, I didn't miss anything. This movie is, is not as complex as it seems. I mean, I think get out is, it's a masterpiece. And I think there's a lot of complexity to this. And I think the story of Nope being um, man shouldn't have dominion over animals and Hollywood literally will spit you out. It was like so many metaphors that just like beat you over the face. That seems like Jordan Peele. I know Jordan Peele is smarter than that because I've seen Get Out. And so I thought this movie was just fine. I thought Hoyt Van Hoytema, who did, was a cinematographer for this movie, did an incredible job shooting the shit out of this movie. He's um, generally he works with Christopher Nolan on the latter half of Nolan's career after Wally Pfister stopped uh, doing it. So, like, it looks great. There's like shots where, like, you look up into the sky and it's like, this is kind of an incredible shot. But overall, yeah. I thought, I thought it was just, it was just fine. And, and, I was listening to an interview where some like someone was mentioning the interview like where someone was saying like I don't understand why Jordan Peele has like been the anointed person to like get money to like do this, and I guess like in a little bit there's a little bit of like M Night Shyamalan to both him and his films, where Shyamalan at least in the beginning of his career definitely got money to make films and there's a lot of I think Shyamalan early Shyamalan good Shyamalan in this movie. But also kind of like at right after Sixth Sense, there's just like, just, eh. I, I think I like this the least out of the three. Even though this, I think, had a better ending than Don't Worry, Darling. It did. Uh, yeah, like when, when, you, when, when you see like the alien for what it is, that was a little, a little underwhelming, a little weird. That, that was um, one thing that kind of took it down a little bit for me at the end. Um, but I, I still enjoyed the ride and, uh, it, it was scary. It wasn't like overly scary. It wasn't horror or anything, but it, it, it was thrilling. Um, 
was it a western like how would you what genre was this yeah like horror thriller western yeah um i don't i just i felt like he was like the movie was like trying to do these really cool things of like making points about um hollywood and and how we we view ourselves in society like because the whole goal is not to speak to the alien but it's just a Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya's character want to take a picture of it. And at one point TMZ shows in, comes in and I feel like the movie was like trying to make a more poignant point than it actually was making. Yeah. I mean, I think the movie, um, I don't know. I, I thought it was, again, it looked good. I don't think it worked the way that I thought it was going to work. Now, personally, I know neither one of you have seen uh, us, but I like that movie quite a lot. Okay. Um, that movie does laps around this movie. Hmm. And to me, if you go into that movie, not even comparing it to Get Out, it's a pretty good movie on its own. This movie. It's like tough because like we, we shouldn't be comparing it to Get Out, right? Fair. Like, it's, and it's, I do it too because Get Out is, is incredible. Like to come out of the gate with Get Out, like it's so hard to do. Yeah. But like maybe it is like Shyamalan where he comes out of the gate with the sixth sense and we shouldn't be comparing his later films to the sixth sense. Well, I'm not really honestly, I'd never watched I I have never compared us or this movie to his other one. No, I know, but Mick and I were. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if I'm the bad apple. Well, I don't like how you can compare a movie that is like that, like this. They're completely different movies. It doesn't hundred percent they are. That doesn't doesn't really like, it's true. But that comparing Boogie Nights and Heart Eight. <laughs> you can't really, but what I I think the acting is great. Mm -hmm. I think the script, it, there were things in the script that worked. Like I still like the throwback to the old television show that they did and how that worked into it. There was something more to that that they could have done more that I don't think they did enough of. But you know, I think there could have been more, even more with the alien. There's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was it was a little sloppy at times, I suppose. Uh, I, I will say the scariest part of the movie for me was the the chimpanzee flashback. Yeah, oh, that like, was that was like empathetic. I was waiting for something to happen, but luckily it didn't. <laughs> yeah, there's a flat. Like I don't think this is a reveal, but Stephen Yoon's character is a child actor, and at the very beginning, he tells a story about how he's working on like this 19, 1990s style sitcom with a chimp. And the chimp one day a balloon pops and goes mad and like just like really um well you you eventually the movie shows you what happens. Like he tries to play it off like a joke, you know, comparing it to like a Saturday night live sketch. Um I've heard complaints about that to me. That part like worked for me as well, because not only was it like scary, it was like the most tension I felt throughout the entire film. And like even though narratively it didn't work, thematically it did. Mm. And because it was so scary. And like that tension work that like I didn't mind that part at all. Um well, like I liked what but, he was doing when the old co-star was up in the rafters with the thing over her face, like the mentally imagining of like her up there and, uh, and what he was doing made sense. It just you blinked and Steven Yen and all them were gone, and then he's laying in a barn. I, I don't know. I thought the ending was a little sloppy. Um I don't think it came together the way. You know, you mentioned the acting. I actually like wasn't. I didn't like what the choices that Daniel Kaluuya made, partially because I think he's such a charismatic actor, 
and like you know something like Judas and the Black Messiah, where like really you play on that charisma, or even something like in Get Out, oh, where shit. he has to be reserved, but he still has that screen presence to him. And I, I know he was doing this as a choice, like playing this like really really reserved character. Mm-hmm. Actors was, though, like good actors could play any kind of reserved, non reserved. I know. I was like. Fourth, but it just like it, it highlighted Kiki Palmer's performance even yeah, more. Yeah, she was great. Yeah, we were born in the same hospital, in the same. You and Kiki Palmer? Yeah, Harvey, Illinois. Yep. yep okay. Yep. 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 She's, well, why aren't she's, she's, a, good famous she's a good actress on her own? Who's come away, um, and some of her younger movies that I've unfortunately, unfortunately, had to sit through in school with the students and stuff like that, like Achilles and the Bee. You ever watched that movie? Probably not. No. We saw Cleaner with her earlier this year. It was one of the first movies we saw for the show. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. She was good in that. But, uh, yeah, I think she did a good job. But, again, the ending, the balloon, come on. Come on. That was <laughs> I don't know, the balloon kind of worked for it. I mean, it was a- this thing's flying around the sky. This thing's there, but a balloon. Oh, that balloon. Yeah, I see what you mean. I- and then all of a sudden, they're t- all of a sudden like, well, they just said this week, well, I might do another one, he said. I don't know. Is anyone really asking for the the ending? I didn't like even mind the ending so much because at least it was like um, set up. The smart alien thing up in the sky, but but the balloon had an eye, and it made a whole thing about don't look at it in the eye. It's true. It sounds very. It was almost very. It sounds very childish. And it it brought back the balloon thing with the chimp. What made the chimp go mad? Yeah, that that was foreshadowing. Yeah. So that's why I didn't mind that so much because at least like the movie set it up. It like, I'm like, don't worry, darling again to bring it back where events oh, happen just blue? out of the blue. So here's just this movie, happen. this deep movie, this guy who's made get out and a balloon popping with the chimpanzee connects to the balloon with the alien up in the sky. Yeah. I mean, the, the plot point makes sense. I just think if, if Peel was trying to make a deeper point, he did about Hollywood. I think he failed. Well, yeah, I mean, and balloons popping between two different things. I didn't think it was again terrible. It just wasn't the level. Honestly, this was going to be the movie this summer. I was going back to the to the show for. I had it all set up. We were going, and then it got canceled on me, and I was so upset. But then I was like, "Well, I'll watch it one day." But I'm watching it now, and I'm glad that wasn't the movie. I made it back to the theater in person the first time. To see. I, I think I, like, I wouldn't mind it if, but like, if this was like, a, like purposefully supposed to be a surface level film, I think I would have liked them more. I just think I don't think that was Peel's intent, and yeah. so therefore I'm going to judge it based upon like the the film that I think he intended to make that he did put on the screen. Um. If this was more of a blockbuster, I think it probably would have been even like a tad bit more effective. Um, and not even like comparing it to Get Out. I just think he, he was trying to make these like complex points and it just, it didn't work, which left me feeling empty when the movie ended. Yeah, I can see that. I just think a, a filmmaker in his hands, I mean, it wouldn't have been hard to make the point that he was trying to make. Uh, from whatever I'm saying, he just I mean, the, the thing literally spits out people while yeah. he's trying to make a point of Hollywood will spit you out. It's like, wow, cool story, bro. 
Maybe it was a little on the nose. Maybe yeah. maybe he was like too meta for his own good or something. I don't. I'm not really sure. It, it wasn't bad by any stretch of imagination, which like what I I kind of thought it would be, but I would have liked a couple more passes at that. An original an original show. You said it was going to be scary, and you weren't going to watch it. Yeah, it's it's not scary. <laughs> no, least. no, it's definitely not. But the chimpanzees scene. Was, I, yeah, it was definitely the the highlight of yeah, the film. We mm-hmm. should just base the whole movie on that. Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a completely different movie. Yeah, fa- fa- it's like yeah. a Chucky movie, but instead it's the chip. No, I mean like <laughs> something more more based upon the mental things of the struggle of what happened after that event in the real time instead of going back to the farm, trying to grandpa the thing fall from the sky and keep David. I don't know. I did like that it spit out all the metal. I thought that was cool. And well, like at such cool. a velocity that it would stick into like trees and wood and stuff. It was. I mean, it, it it had its points. It had its mm. points. All right. Well, speaking of westerns, because we mentioned this is film of western, let's talk about our favorite westerns. All right. Favorite. Look western. at that. Look at that transition. That look. is nice. Oh, you you have you have uh, you stole one of my picks, Tony. Oh well, I just picked a bunch of random things <laughs> and the movies. We might not even hit on all these. But just some random western. Actually, I don't have a whole lot of picks, and two of them are on the screen. <laughs> yeah, that. I have I have two on here too. Perfect. Um, great. All right, so, so I'll say to... like right off the bat, like I even though this was like a huge genre of film in Hollywood for decades, like superheroes are now, I haven't seen a whole lot of the classic westerns. Like the only one I've seen Ooh. is um I'm sorry, I the Searchers. Ooh, the Searchers and. I also think because I, I came out of that hating it, and then I read, I was like, "Oh, a lot of this stuff is supposed to be like an indictment on genre versus like being the genre." So, like, I maybe have missed it. But anyway, Mick, since this was one of your topics, let's talk about some of your favorite westerns. Okay, uh, I have a few, a handful. Um, I'll try to keep it from going long-winded, uh, but I think probably my favorite western—it's got to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I just, it, it, I love this movie. I, I first of all, you like hot takes, so best score in cinematic history. I think it it, it shits on anything John Williams has done, Hans Zimmer has any Morricone. What he does, his the 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 songs in this, uh, the the um in in this movie are so iconic, and they like people still like you'll just like hear people whistling. If YouTube wouldn't get us in trouble for playing clips, like we played the clip. Yeah, yeah. Metallica I, walks out on stage to one song from that movie every single show that they play. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise yeah, me. I mean, man. you know, I mean, it's it's iconic. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I don't think that's that much of a hot take because it's a pretty incredible score. Okay, well then, then good. But I, like, I I would say like most people would would pick some John Williams thing because he's, you know, he's the most popular. He's like the Spielberg of of composers. Um, but but yeah. Anyway, uh, I I love this movie. It has one of my favorite scenes in, in cinematic history, as well as the climax, the the graveyard scene, uh, the you know the standoff. Um, and it's not even really like what happens. It's not the good getting the best of the bad and tricking Tuco. It's um it's just that the editing, the suspense, the score. It, it's my favorite song. It's called the trio. And uh, I listen to it like every week, like just in the car, just like, you know, working out or whatever. I'll just listen to this song because it amps me up so much. It's like a trumpet and a bunch of vibes. And it's just so good. 
Um, and yeah, but like a, a lot of people, when I when I say that's like one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever, a lot of people like laugh. Well, like first they're like, well, let's watch it, and they're like, that really? Like the editing is so choppy, it cuts so fast, and like it doesn't seem like your usual thing. But like I just think there's never been a better example of just uh, a, a director just getting it perfect and like and having and shout out to Sergio Leone who Sergio Leone okay who uh, helped, is, like uh, popularized these spaghetti westerns yeah he's, because he's, he, an, he's an Italian awesome. man yeah, I mean the the man with no name trilogy is pretty iconic can't go wrong with that no you can't no, you really can't um so so yeah the good the bad and the ugly uh is is probably my favorite western I wouldn't say it's the best western if that makes sense but personally it just it means a lot to me it's a good one yeah, man. Classic. It is. Uh, want me to do another one? Or you guys want to go around the room here? We'll no, go around the room. Oh, okay. <laughs> do another one. Wait, what do we decide? What did you decide? You go next, Adam. <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep picking one. Okay. I was going to do, uh, I'm. mine's pretty short because, like I said, this isn't really a genre like I'm super into, but I was going to go with uh, a pair of, of Ben Foster movies. And that's uh, 310 to Yuma and Hell or High Water. Nice. Um, three three ten to Yuma. The the remake is, and I haven't seen the original. Is is just it's so much fun. Um, I kind of think the heist, the, the attack at the end, is like I think this is like a four star film up until then, and then it goes on for too long. It's like, ugh, I wish it didn't do it. But it's it's pretty incredible. And um, Hell or High Water, where um, you know the aforementioned Chris Pine. Yeah, and, and Ben Foster are, are bank robbers, um, and then you realize like they're robbing for a point. Like this has a, a little bit more of a social message, besides, um, you know, just a, a fun bank robbing movie. Jeff Bridges as the old man on his last job trying to chase him down. Um, that was my favorite film of that year. It ended up getting a whole bunch of Oscar nominees and and not getting any. I don't think it got any wins, but. I've I revisited again, and I just think, I mean Ben Foster especially, I mean because he always plays a crazy guy, just absolutely unhinged in the best possible way. Chris Pine being the movie star that he is, and Jeff Bridges just being Jeff Bridges, I just think just a great three hander. Yeah, it's amazing movie. I agree. I actually just saw it for the first time. Yeah, you did. You did just see it for the first time. I did. I liked it. Uh, yeah. It's grown on me. I, I keep like thinking about it. It's that kind of movie. It's the kind of movie that sticks with you. Mm-hmm. And it, I like a lot of like, again, back to the cinematography, especially like at the end, like a, that truck chase scene where he gets out with the gun. And I mean, that's I like a lot. Of, it reminds me a lot of like 1970s filmmaking pretty much is what that movie okay. is. A script by Taylor Sheridan who went on to basically, he did um Yellowstone, and he's basically doing like all these shows for Paramount. But Taylor Sheridan, I feel like I don't know if he like lives in Wyoming or just it feels like he lives in Wyoming because he's the perfect guy to write um, a modern western. And I think it was it came out in, in 2016, and because of its message, it still felt of it like of the its time, meaning like of a 2016 movie. I mean, because uh, it talks about the mortgage crisis and in, in I think a really smart way or yeah. smart I mean, way for considering the genre and considering it's a bank robbing movie. He wrote the Sicario movies. Those yeah. are awesome. Um, I Wind really River. 
I really like Wind River quite a lot. Um, yeah, you know, but like you said, he seems to have the one I did not enjoy was the last one he did for HBO Max. It was uh, with Angelina Jolie, "Those Who Wish Me Dead." Did you ever watch that one? That was released. What it was one of those I movie releases last not. year. It, it didn't get good reviews, so I no, it didn't. Which was sad because all the other movies of his were good, but you know, that's a good one. Definitely good. All right, what do you got, Tony? I got. I'll go with. Oh, I got. I love. I'm the direct opposite of you. I love. I love the western. Um, everybody really likes a lot Tombstone. I like Tombstone a lot. That's Quite on my list. Um, I'll leave that one to you if you'd like to talk about that one. I'm going to go in Wyatt Earp. No, no, that movie. Um, funny story about that movie. I think my dad rented it, never watched it, forgot to return it, and I'll never forget. Like the video store kept calling. And my dad's <laughs> like, "I don't know about that effing movie. I don't got it." But then we finally found it and returned it. But Tombstone has it. has your boy Kurt Russell in it. It does. It well. I mean, I was thinking about the Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner. Right. Oh. The double, yeah. the double. I thought that's what you you were switching to, but Kevin. Co I mean, uh, Kurt Russell's wider is awesome. Um, I like a movie um, with Clint Eastwood from the mid '80s called Pale Rider. It's a really, really awesome movie. Um, it's got everybody in Pale Rider from the big tall guy in um, Ooh Happy Gilmore, the one with the the thing that gets stuck. Robert in Larson. Uh, Richard Lar. Richard, Richard Keel, yeah, his his um, name's Larson. In yeah, he's really good in it. Um, it's really, I think I like it because if you're thinking in the middle of the '80s, you're thinking all this fashion and glitz and glamour, and then Clint Eastwood um, came out with this movie, and it's actually, I'll put it up there with one of his best westerns. If you ever mm -hmm. get a chance to watch it, um, Christopher Penn's in it. Um, really, really awesome movie, but I like that one quite a lot. Nice. What's another one you got, Mick? Uh, I'll just speak on Tombstone real quick, uh, and then I'll list my other. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, everyone knows, uh, you know, Kurt Russell's great. Val Kilmer is iconic, probably overlooked for a, an Oscar nom that year, in my opinion. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is that Kurt Russell actually like finished this movie like the the director took off i want to say he took off like halfway during production to go film another movie and i want to say it might have been the alamo oh. um george cosmatos cosmatos okay. um and so kurt russell literally directed like i don't know how, what percentage of the movie but he finished the the duration of the of the production and which is just so badass and he's such a cool dude that he waited for the aforementioned george cosmatos to to pass away before letting the story leak or, or you know to, being honest about the story because it was speculated for a long time some of his his co-stars and you know crew members you know tried to you know get the story out but he didn't want to he didn't want he thought it was disrespectful he he had i guess a lot of respect for the guy um so that was kind of cool that's really cool yeah, man. Um, and then the the other one, I, I can't do another Leone movie, but Once Upon a Time in the West is amazing. That's my favorite one of all. Yeah, it, it, it's cool. Go back and forth on, on that one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, okay, maybe I will then. Because like, yeah, it has one of my favorite moments uh, of any Western, and it's the it's it's the the you know shootout when the when the i don't know what you call them the cowboys or whatever the bad guys the frank's gang um they they go to that ranch and they ace the family 
and yes. and then you have the cowboys like in a flying v formation with their dusters blown in the wind and the camera comes around from behind and looks at the lead guy you know the the, the guy solely responsible for this mayhem that you just witnessed and it's the nicest guy in hollywood henry fonda and i just gotta imagine that everyone sitting in the cinema if they didn't know that henry fonda was going to play one of the most like reprehensible bad guys of the 60s like i they, i would imagine people like fell out of their chair because henry fonda is the nicest guy and he always played the good guy well like I, I walked in i think i was like oh i was nine or ten and i walked in and my dad was watching it and i walked in at the part where He's playing the harmonica and his brother's standing on his shoulder. Oh, yeah. And then he drops to his knees. And I remember being like 10 going like, what the hell did I just watch? Mm -hmm. All right. And I, it always stuck with me. And then the years would pass and I'd go back to my dad and I go, what was that movie with that kid playing the harmonica? <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's Once Upon a Time in the West. And then it finally, I'll never forget it. At, it was at Ball State 2002 when they released it on DVD. I went to Best Buy. Like on that Tuesday, they released it. And I got the double disc and the movie's incredible. Um, it's my favorite Western. I know you like good, the bad, the ugly, which is also amazing. All those three are a uh, fistful of dollars for a few dollars for a more. Few dollars more. Yeah, good, yeah. The bad, the ugly. They're all really good. Yeah, they are. Um, the acting. I just like the acting a lot. And once upon a time, I mean, Charles Bronson, everybody knows him as like this gritty seventies action star, but right. He hit that role pretty good. He Jason did. Robards hit that role really, really, really good. He did. Um, and as you mentioned, Henry Fonda, man, on Golden Pond. I know, right? <laughs> uh, the, the the Twelve Angry Men, you know, like the the best antagonist, like you know, your favorite lawyer movie, right there. Twelve Angry. Men. I do love Twelve Angry Men. He's it's awesome. one of my favorites. He's yeah. great. He's great in that. He's, he's tremendous. I, I wanted a shout out. It's a western made by uh, one of our favorites, John Favreau, called Cowboys and Aliens. Yes. <laughs> Oh, masterpiece! Masterpiece, right there. Daniel Craig, that's that early, uh, early one Craig. for him. Yeah. Honestly, right now, if you were, if we were to go watch, if we were at a movie theater and we sat for two and a half hours and watched Nope, and then we went in the next movie theater and sat for two and a half hours and watched Cowboys and Aliens, you'd leave and go, you know what? This wasn't as bad as they really made this movie out to be. <laughs> Man, nope is a masterpiece. Yeah, this is actually kind of fun, but uh, on par with Get Out. Yeah. Um, I feel like we have to mention Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Though. Yeah, we have to. Definitely. It, I mean, William you know, Goldman. I mean, so for John Wayne. I mean, a lot of those real Bravo, real Bravo, Bravo yeah. real Grande. Have you guys seen a uh, Stagecoach? No, I have not. Uh, if I did, it was like 30 years ago. Yeah. I feel like that feels like it, it consistently gets mentioned as the best old sure. school Western. I haven't seen a lick of it. Yeah. Um, Got to mention Unforgiven. Which Clint Eastwood playing on the the tropes that he helped create, mm -hmm. and then falls into it by the last act, trying to go against a man of violence by killing a whole bunch of people. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a breed of film that has, you know, it's moved to the back of all kinds of movies that are being released. I believe. Mm. I mean, The Hateful Eight, that was a big western for Tarantino. It's and it's probably worst film. <laughs> I, I'd say so. I, I I actually like it. I saw it in the theaters and liked it, and then I revisited yeah, it, and I was like, I get why why people shit on this movie. Yeah, I uh, I have not grown to like it yet. Maybe. I and will. then Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Is oh sure, sure. Tyler um, Western and hilarious as hell. 
I, I just just to name it off because it's I think my dad's favorite and I like it too. Uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance. Yes. I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I really enjoy. I, I remember really liking that. Mm-hmm. That I mean, Jimmy Stewart. Yes, Jimmy Stewart is, is really awesome in that. He's great. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to do the Jimmy the Stewart impression. You do hey, it. Who shot Liberty Valance? <laughs> 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 no, no, I do not do a good one. Uh, well, that's a that's a solid three out of ten for me. It's um, a no for me, dog. It's a no for me. Did you ever see like Dances with Wolves? No. Unfortunately. <laughs> I've never seen Dances with Wolves. Jeremiah Johnson is really good with Robert Redford in the 70s. That's the picture that gift that every, they, that's the gift that everyone always sends where he's smiling with the beard, like and he's oh, nodding. Where it looks like it's actually Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that okay. I didn't know that. Really, really awesome movie. A Sidney Pollock directed it. Like it's like 73 or 74. Um, it's really good to watch in the wintertime because of the snow. I like movies. I like watching movies like that. Um, you know, but yeah, definitely. I think we hit on all the uh, some good classics. Those are good ones. So where are we going to now? Uh, let's talk. You want to talk about Vietnam films? Let's do it. Vietnam films, my favorites. Favorite Vietnam. This is a, this is a tough one. Um, okay. Well, I think I'm going to steal Tony's here, but feel free to jump in here, uh, Tony. Um, Apocalypse Now is a masterpiece. I, I, I think it's head and shoulders above any other Vietnam movie. Uh, I don't, in my opinion, it's not close. Uh, if I was making a list of 50 best movies, there's three Coppola movies in it. Uh, f- 50 best movies of all time, obviously. So, so yeah, Apocalypse Now, uh, I just... The other two I, being Godfathers? Yeah, the first, well, the third and the first. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, the first. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, man, Apocalypse Now is is just tremendous, and I, I think it's. I don't even think it was Coppola's idea to adapt Heart of Darkness, um, and, and and instead of having it in Africa, you know, having it take place in the heart of the Vietnam War, uh, but I, I think it was the original screenwriter, and then obviously Coppola, I think, bought the script and then made a bunch of edits like on set. Um, but anyway, whoever's idea that was was absolutely genius, and I love I love the movie. I love all the things that went wrong during production. I love how Coppola like went broke, lost his mind, lost his soul. You know, all the all the cast members, all the crew were just like doing coke, just like you know, <laughs> just like getting drunk like the entire Martin time. Sheen almost dying. Martin yeah. Sheen almost dying. Yeah. Um. It, it, it's an insane. Uh, tale of hollywood and and, and it, it but but as far as the movie goes like there's not a more perfect movie that i could probably think of off the top of my head and it's just it cracks me up every time i see marlon brando uh you know like 100 pounds overweight you know uh just you know but he somehow coppola because that was not in the plan like you know uh, Marlon Brando was very difficult on this movie he wouldn't read his you know he wouldn't memorize his lines he gained a bunch <laughs> of weight so what does coppola do he does what any iconic amazing director would do he finds a way to make it work and in my opinion he makes it work he shot him the, the way that he shot him in the dark you know kind of hidden for a lot of time add to the mystery you know you spend the whole movie slowly going towards this guy and uh, colonel kurtz and um and you know when you finally get there he's just so creepy and you know you don't know what the hell's gonna happen um yeah it's it's a it's a masterpiece yeah i mean it's i concur everything that you've said about it Great movie. What's your favorite, Adam? I'm going to go with a pair of movies who have an excellent half and uh, not so excellent other half. 
and that's uh the deer hunter in full metal jacket Ooh. where uh, the i'll agree with one of them <laughs> i so i'll start with full metal jacket which is the one i think you agree with mm-hmm. where the um arlie ermy stuff like it's it's so perfect like how tall are you six foot four i know they may be the shit that I, <laughs> like, famously like they um he had to come like he was on set to help guy the original actor and then kubrick was like nah man you just got to do this yourself it's mm-hmm. his first credit and like made a grand hollywood of it um the first half of training camp um bit training camp uh basic training you know training camp gonna regular season afterwards <laughs> let's play some long toss boys <laughs> with uh the vincent d'onofrio arc and obviously matthew modine and everyone else but is is perfect and like i try i like i really tried to get into that second half i understand he's trying kubrick's trying to do this duality of man thing with it and it's just it's it's so hard to get into it even coming down off of the high of that excellent you know first 45 minutes with 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 boot camp i just i can't do it i don't care um and then with the deer hunter I I can't stand the the wedding scene. It's it's so excruciating to me. It I know it's like purposeful and what Michael Cimino, the director, was like again what he was going for of like here's a, a utopic time where everything is perfect before the war starts in, and it's like you bro you gotta cut like half an hour out of this. I I I dislike it immensely. Um, <laughs> but the, the whole like once they're actually in it and the whole Russian roulette arc to it oh yeah and um what's his face losing his mind um christopher walking yeah yeah but um those those are my picks well i feel like i gotta cover four movies here uh these are my four picks that weren't said that i think are awesome vietnam movies um i think really 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 awesome vietnam movie is dead presidents either one of you two ever seen dead presidents I don't think so. Nope. Uh, John this John Singleton, the guy who did Menace to Society, directed it. Um, it stars Keith David, who you brought up earlier, is in the movie. But again, it's pretty much um, like the African-American version of Deer Hunter. It's before the war, during the war, and the life did after. Did you see the, uh, the Five Bloods? Five Bloods. Yeah, yeah, no, that wasn't. No, yeah, this is. This because is, that's also um, yeah. Spike Lee trying to do the black version of Vietnam. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. holy shit, Spike, cool it. Yeah. Um, like, make one movie. Don't make five movies and put it into one. Even like Terrence Howard, before he became the Terrence Howard in Iron Man, is in this movie. Like, there's a lot of. Oh, wow. A, a lot of earlier roles in this movie that are, are what's his name's great in the movie? Chris Tucker is in the movie. He's one of the guys in Nam. But. That's a really good movie. Another one is, um, well, of course, you cannot not talk about Platoon. I think Oliver Stone um, nailed that movie. I I really wish the first. I wish Keith David in that movie. He is also in that movie too. I really wish you could take. No, it's a self cast Keith David in your movie. Take take the first half of Full Metal Jacket and just add it on to the beginning of Platoon with all those people, and you got yourself pretty much the best movie of all time. Yeah, you got yourself um, a stew there. That's um, good. The Platoon, the scenes in the jungle, and the way it looks, and the realism. And honestly, because Oliver Stone was there, he's like uh, one of the only one of these directors who was in Vietnam who made right. a Vietnam movie. Charlie Sheen, I mean, incredible. Yeah, he's a piece. You know, he's he is who he is now, but. 
Right. He nailed that role really well. He's so um, good in it. Even William Defoe. I, I can never not look at drama in Entourage and not think of Kevin Dillon. <laughs> oh, yeah. All um, right. He's such a piece of guy. Like he hits, he's just a really bad guy. Um, I also like a lot is Brian De Palma's Casualties of War, which has Michael J. Fox. Oh, yeah. That's a really, really good war movie. And the last war movie that I'm going to, of Vietnam, I'm going to bring up that I actually watched within the last couple of years. I just looked it up. It's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got Don Cheadle, Dylan McDermott, uh, Courtney B. Vance. It's called Hamburger Hill from 1987. If you've never seen this movie, it's about, uh, it's probably the best movie that I have never not seen until I watched it. it it's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that means anything, but it's a great Vietnam movie directed by John Irvin, who directed um, some other movies here, some some other good movies, but definitely worth checking out. Yeah. You don't know like, what legit my actual favorite Vietnam movie is? It's uh, Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. I mean, is, is that a joke or are you serious? It's, it's partially a joke, but partially like I love Forrest Gump, and I think that is like you would consider it a Vietnam movie. I've never forgiven it, it for awesome. winning Best Picture. There's yeah. there's some there's some uh, there's this movie from 1978 77, and I know he's not really regarded now. He's kind of a piece of garbage with piece of garbage thoughts. But John Voight is really good in this movie called Coming Home, where it's like him right when he gets back from Nam, like the after effects, and I think that's why I like Apocalypse Now so much is because it's. Like, as the book said, the heart of darkness, like, you're generally seeing the unraveling of, well, number one, Colonel Kurtz in that situation. But even in Platoon, you got, you know, Tom Berenger, Major League, losing his mind oh, out yeah. there in the jungle before the Cleveland Indians picked him up for his Major League stint as a <laughs> But uh, definitely all these picks are great picks. You know, Amber I mean, Hill. I'm going to check that out. To please check it out. Um, Don, to see early Don Cheadle. I didn't even know um, he was acting back then. I mean, I mean, and it's it's one of those movies that, and I love. These are my favorite things. Is when a movie kind of sneaks sneaks up on you, you know. And that's kind of I had seen. And honestly, as a kid, I'd go to the video store and see this, and I'd make fun of it. What was this about hamburgers, hot dogs? Where's Hot Dog Hill? And then honestly, thought, <laughs> honestly, for the longest time, I thought it was like, like some other war that I never heard of, like some made up war. That I'm like, wait a minute, this is Vietnam War. I love Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And then you go through it, and you got you know these actors in it, but definitely worth worth checking out. So people get mad when like we don't mention their movie. So I want to give a, just a shout out to Rambo. Which the first one like is legit yeah. good. Like people like it. Deal with the, the PTSD of the Vietnam War and um Werner Herzog's Rescue Dawn, which oh, I saw in theaters good. with Steve Zahn and Christian Bale, and I don't remember a thing about it. It's <laughs> a good sign. But you know, I mean, generally you brought up earlier, I mean, the the fly the five bloods. I mean, that one is a more recent they don't I mean they're not really yeah, they basically stop making Vietnam movies. movies. Weirdly, they started making like World War One movies again. Yeah, Did you ever see the last flag flying? No, that's I don't Brian Cranston, so. Steve Carell, and oh, 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 I've heard and, it. Yeah, uh, yeah, Fishburne. I remember this. Lawrence Fishburne, yeah. right? Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne. Did you see that one? 
No. Well, I feel like now we're at the point of like, let's move on. Right. <laughs> you're now you're just bragging. Oh, um, right. I'm just kidding. All right. We have time for I think only two more topics. All right. So Mick, why don't you pick the next topic? Oh man. Uh do me I got foreign the, uh... film. Okay. Best director working today. Favorite 90 scenes or guilty pleasures? Let's do. I feel like I'm on Jeopardy. Uh, let's go <laughs> with favorite. Uh, what was the first one? The um, great foreign films. Let's do that one. Right. For how much? Uh, for 1,000 out. All oh, right. Who, who is it now? <laughs> great Definitely another one stealing on my list. Oh, look this at this. A... This is cool. All right. You got me distracted here. Do you want me to go first? You guys, someone no, else you, go first. I feel right, like I'll go, uh, I'll go first. So, yeah. like with um, Westerns, like literally for hold this category. Hold on a second. Before you get started, why are you looking at everything as being stolen? Why would I have stolen it? This is our show. No, I'm just, you stole one of my picks. These are my picks. I just put in foreign films and I picked a bunch of pictures and put them And on. yeah, you picked Pan's Labyrinth. Which if, is by, awesome. if by coincidence this is your pick, you should smile and be like, man. He knows me. All right, here we go. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, literally, you can, like, there's, I'm only going to mention, like, a few films that were basically all released within the past 20 years. But, like, you go whole French New Wave films. You can go Italian films. You can go, like, um, Japanime films. I'm just going to go, here's a handful. You, Pan's Labyrinth is on here. Guillermo del yeah. Toro is one of his original ones. Um, about the Spanish Re Civil War, I think it is. It's friggin' incredible. Um, one of my favorite working directors right now, and I don't know if we're going to step on a topic or not, is um, Your Ghost Lanthimos. Yeah. And uh, the last film he made, not in the English language, is a film called Dogtooth, oh. which is, I think, Greek? To be honest, I don't even know. Um, it's... About a fam like this dad, he keeps his family like locked in his house and basically like warps their reality by like just making stuff up. And because they're not allowed in the real world, um, they just assume that's what it is. And then uh, he brings in a girl, like he's allowed, he like it's just like a factory supervisor, brings in a girl to strip one of his sons, and she essentially throws a grenade in the fire and um, destroys their reality. And it's it's Yorgos Lanthimos at its best. I absolutely yeah. love it. Um, Thomas Vinterberg and Mads Mikkelsen has made a handful of films that I absolutely love. Their most recent one was Another Round, um, which Vinterberg got nominated for Best Director. But I really love The Hunt. Um, it's Danish or something like that. I don't know. I think honest. it's Danish, yeah. I don't know what language they speak, and that's my apologies. But The Hunt is excellent. Um, Mikkelsen gets accused of uh, sexually abusing a child in this small Danish town. And that's a whole thing of like against like about mob mentality and, and witch hunts. And you don't even know if he did it or not. Hmm. Um, and that's, I think the genius of the film. Uh, and then I'll go, I have a handful more, but I feel like you got to mention the original old boy. Um, you know, before daredevil did it old boy with the, just the <laughs> hammer fucking up some dudes in the hallway oh yeah um i mean that fight scene is excellent and then the actual reveal um like literally made me go like, oh! i 
I can't believe you went there. It's um, I should look up who directed Oh Boy because it's yeah, not a nobody. It is Park Chan Wook. Ah, yes. Who, um, he's made a handful of other films, but the only one I've seen of his is Old Boy, and I love mm. it. Awesome, yeah, great picks. Excellent. I had another round on mine. Uh, not The Hunt, because I haven't seen it yet. It's on my watch list. Oh, watch both The Hunts. Okay. Have you seen the, the one with Betty Gilpin? It's it's no. not a remake. It's just a movie called The Hunt. Um, <laughs> no, it, it came out. It came out in like... So it was like scheduled for like 2019, but it's because it involves so much violence. It's like some gun violence act that they pushed it. Mm-hmm. And then they eventually pushed it to the point where it came out like right as the pandemic and the world was shutting down in 2020. So like basically nobody saw this film. It was on HBO the last time I checked. It has Betty Gilpin and um, Million Dollar Baby Lady. Hillary Swank? Thank you, Hillary Swank. Sure. That is in English, but it's also good. Good to know. All right. Cool. Both hunts added. Well, I already had the hunt on my watch list, but I had, yeah. I'll add the other hunt. The Helen hunt. <laughs> we hunt down Helen hunt. <laughs> hunt, 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 hunt. So, wanna... okay. I got here. I'm a big fan of John Woo and some of his, a lot of his movies were inspirations to Tarantino. Um, some of the ones that I enjoy the most are 1986's A Better Tomorrow. I like that movie quite a lot. Um, another movie I like a lot is The Killer. Um, it's a really another really good foreign movie. Both of these movies star Chow Yun-Fat. If you're not yeah. familiar with him, he has been in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. He's even appeared in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Really awesome. I like Chow Yun-Fat. Um, he's actually got a really a, his first couple um, American movies were actually really awesome. Um, the first one was The Replacement Killers with uh, a little offbeat with uh, Mira Servino, and the second one was The Corrupter with Mark Wahlberg. Pretty good action movies, but he was a good director. Um, John Woo. The second movie I'm going to bring up is called Firework. It's directed by a guy named Take- Takeshi Kitano. Um, this movie came out in 1997, and I'll always remember it because um, it was the first time I ever went to a movie in downtown Chicago. A kid in one of my classes was like, I'm going to this movie downtown. Do you want to go? And I was like, uh, uh, so I asked Did him. Did he say it that aggressively? He was pretty, pretty. He was like, what it was. Hey, he was one of going those, downtown. Uh, you got to come with those, me now. What it was was he was one of those like gothic Marilyn Manson type of kids. And we talked movies or whatever, and he was just like, I'm going downtown to see a movie. And I was like, uh, sure. But I went up to my friend. I'm like, do you want to go with me to this movie, man? I don't want to go with this fucking guy by myself. And he's like, sure. And we'll never forget, we went down to, it's one of the nice, cool, like, art. It, oh, it's like uh, somewhere. It's one of the ones, like, actual, like, theater theaters. And we watched this movie in subtitles. And I remember just sitting there being like, where the hell am I? What am I doing here? But it was an experience, and it's definitely uh, an awesome movie to check out called Firework. Yeah, but you uh, those, more? you know, honestly, this is kind of my category, how your category for Westerns, not my favorite, and it's 
Well, the thing is, of. like, there's there's literally so like an infinite amount of like films in a foreign language mm-hmm. that I'm sure there are some genres like you know you mentioned a lot of Asian films. Like, I guarantee you, there's a shit ton of like films from like South Korea and Japan that are probably like incredible and like right up your alley. It's just we're not I that know. familiar with them, and like we haven't spent we've spent so many time watching American movies that that's what it is too. You know, I, you know, it's it's. Like, it's not that, like, we don't like them. I think it's just sure. we're not that familiar with them more than anything. That's true. Sure. That's a fair point. Very fair. You have to kind of go looking for them, right? You, they're true. not just shoved in your face all the time. Right. Um, yeah. Makes sense. Nick, you got uh, any more? I, I do. Uh, so, I, I you guys took some of mine. So, I have two that I'll just throw out there. Uh, obviously, I have a lot, but I'll do, I'll do two. Um, as many as you like, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll do uh, the, the Korean murder mystery uh, from one of my favorite directors working nowadays, Bong Joon-ho. Uh, that's Memories of Murder from 2003. Uh uh right up there with parasite in my opinion uh some people would even say it's better than parasite uh he he has a lot of movies that i like this one would be 1a um it's it's so good and i also really like the host the host is really really good too i like this one better though um memories of murder has one of my favorite uh endings and of any movie i've ever seen it if you haven't seen it you can watch on hulu right now it's amazing I haven't yet seen a bad Bong Joon-ho film. The thing is, I haven't seen a whole lot. Sure. I'd say Snowpiercer like, is, is not even in my top four of his. Um, he's, he's great. And Snowpiercer is fine. Snowpiercer, I thought, was good. Uh, I gave it like an 8 out of 10. But uh, his other stuff's that good. It's in my top four, but I've only seen four. Okay. Well, that's fine. It's, it's also probably one or two. Gotcha. I've only seen Okja, Snowpiercer parasite and the host gotcha yeah the i haven't seen okja that's i think that's the only one i haven't seen um so yeah uh yep and then uh the other one is a movie i just recently saw uh it's from um it's an italian movie from vittorio de sica uh you've you've known it's it's on a lot of lists it's one of scorsese's favorite movies of all time it's called bicycle thieves uh it's about a um yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a phenomenal movie. Uh, it's it's so well done. It, I've heard about it. I've never seen it. Yeah, I guess the premise would be uh, there's a a, a a guy, a man, a middle aged man who's married with a about an eight year old son. Uh, it's in post World War II Italy. Everyone's poor. Everything's very you know despondent and and bleak. And uh, he he has a bike and he he gets handed a job like. You, you see him standing in line day in, day out, not getting anything. And he's very desperate to, you know, put food on the table, pay rent, et cetera. Um, so he finally gets this job and it, it's just, it just changes his life. Um, and so he has this bike and he protects it like it's his own kid. Uh, and one thing happens, you know, and another thing happens and, and the bike ends up getting stolen. And so you have to follow this guy through, you know, post-World War II Rome uh, trying to track down his bike, uh, and it, it's just uh, it's a kind of a, a gut wrenching film. Um, but are, you're both dads, right? You guys mm-hmm. both have kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, I definitely yeah. recommend yep. it for any dad. It, it's a really definitely. really good watch, and it's only like 88 minutes or something. Definitely, I'll definitely check that out. I'm putting mm-hmm. it right now on my list. 
cool man uh i watched it there's a it's on canopy um okay. so you can watch it there but i i think i saw it on youtube someone had like a a, a version of it and i didn't feel too bad about it because you know movie's so old no one's making money on this thing any which way sometimes you can watch it is what i say sure <laughs> but uh that's awesome very awesome yeah. very awesome picks yeah we gotta check out some of those some of those movies i'm gonna go back and check out some of those i'm with adam i've only seen the ones that he's mentioned too but it sounds like that there's some of the earlier work that like you said, I just had, you know, that's the thing is there's so much you always think that you've seen it all. Like mm-hmm. you just heard me mentioning Vietnam movies and you're like, Jesus, quit. You know, I've never heard these movies. But now <laughs> you could get you got me against the board against four foreign movies. I'm like, whoa, whoa, stop. You got me. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what's awesome about movies. Is that Definitely. We show each other cool, different stuff. Yeah, there's always more to explore. Definitely. What uh, topic do you, would you like to do now? I'm open for whatever. You guys pick the next one. Yeah, we have one oh. more topic. Let's do favorite 1990s movie scenes. Sounds okay. Good? All right. Sounds great. No. Let's, uh, I, that's going to be so long, want? dude. That's All right. Fine. Favorite guilty pleasure movie or favorite yeah. working directors today? Yeah, let's do guilty pleasures. Guilty pleasure right. movies. Favorite sounds good. Let's do guilty pleasures. pleasures. All right. Here we are. Guilty pleasures. There's All literally right, like go. an infinite amount of like every like. And it's kind of well, subjective too, but uh, well, like, I guess it's the thing yeah, about ahead. some of these topics. Okay, let's 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 really quick here. I mean, hypothetically speaking, if we keep this up, we're gonna have like fifty shows a year. They're, we're not gonna cover all '90s best scenes tonight. I mean, this may be a continuing story for like the next eighteen times for the next fifty years. Mick comes on. Mick's gonna be seventy on our show. <laughs> we're talking about talking about. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. These are your fifteen scenes. No, the oh, these are guilty pleasure movies. I'm like, this is gonna be good. What guilty pleasure movies you got, guys? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, I, I mean, I could have gone, you know, dozens of different movies, right? Um, but the one I decided to talk about is School of Rock. I think That's School a good of... movie. Yeah, but I mean, would, would people actually call it a good movie? Yes. You you think so? Okay. No, I, people, people like okay. Let me let's 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 break down this conversation a little bit more because I I know where you're going. I got nominated for Golden Globes. Like I don't know. Yeah, for I what? Think it's legit good. For so like you go Jack Black of, and you go a bunch movie. of film students and you start talking about School Rock, they're not going to think that they're going to. Okay, it's not the Godfather, but like. <laughs> But that's what he's saying. It's better, you're right. You know, when, when, when his favorite when his favorite filmmaker is Stanley Kubrick and he's bringing School of Rock to the table, that's the that's that's the. Point. All right, you know what? If this is such a nebulous topic, you are the guest. My apologies. Please continue. <laughs> I just I will say, you know, I'm glad I you think, like it. I mean, I yeah, think it's like, like oh, well, it's also. Too. Let me put it to you honestly. I've only I saw the movie for the very first time last year. Okay. The reason I had not seen it up until that point was the exact reason of why you said. I said, I'm not going to sit and watch this garbage. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I sat and watched that movie, and I watched it another 15 times after it because it's a great movie. It is, um, it is a great movie. And honestly, it's another stupid movie that I would put up my ignorant blinders for, which I that's why if you've seen in the last year. I'm like, all movies are all good. Because <laughs> but here's, here's, here's anytime I'm going to myself, it's- you know. 
But it's directed by Mike White, who's a respected writer who's now doing the White Lotus, and yeah. it's directed by Richard Linklater. He is. Like, that, but are you going to sit here and talk about how great Bad News Bears remake is? Because Richard Linklater did that. No, because that's a bad movie. But I'm just saying. Yeah, but like, I'm just. But, saying, he, but he has it in him. He it. has it in him to make a bad movie. And honestly, I think that's a good movie. But that's my opinion. I think Bobby. I think Billy I think Bob that, I, nailed that part. I think that would be a legit guilty pleasure. But again, please continue. Talk about school. Yes, yes go ahead. <laughs> I don't even have that much to say about it. But I, I just think it's really endearing and sweet and has really good things to well, say. Well, I'm excited. If this was your first one, what's your second guilty pleasure film? Um, you another one? Or was that all you had? Was I that closed my uh, – I, I could think of something here. I had I'll, a – All right, so, you go ahead, Adam. What do you got? It's Since not I've been bullied movie. not to like uh, – go ahead. I'm not saying it's a good movie. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm bullying at you because I, 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 dis, I disagree with the classification. Like Tony mentioned that he likes um, – what's the uh, – oh, Nicholas Sparks. Um, Ryan the Gosling, Notebook? The Notebook. That I think qualifies as a guilty Why? pleasure. Because you don't like – see, this is our always the thing because you don't like The Notebook. But you like School of Rock. But what movie did better numbers? The Notebook. So but the Notebook, because the Notebook is considered a, a classic chick flick in your dude, which is why I think it qualifies as a, oh, a, a guilty pleasure. What mental territory is? No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean honestly, you're right in that. Me saying the Notebook is is that you're right. But as far as like, see, this topic is so crazy. I know it's, it's like, a nebulous. It is like, tough. There's, there's no like definition. Well, you go back to the picture here, okay? If you were to come and say that you like the movie with Taylor Swift here where she played the cat, that's a hot <laughs> take. That's a hot take. Okay. I'll try if to you find a shade. The duck, that's a hot take. You know, I mean that that that's all that's a but that that I think qualifies as guilty pleasure. But okay. That's your guilty pleasure. Yeah, you, you know what? It. I'll say mine, so feel free to yell at me. All right. Oh, I'm go. ready. All right. Um oh, what's the I already wrote it down. Uh, All right. So this is a film that is absolutely reviled at the time. I don't know how much it's like it's run tomato score. I'm sure it's very bad. I first saw the director's cut and that's why I absolutely love it. And that's uh, the butterfly effect. You're really going to anger me right now. Cause like, see like that movie's amazing to me. Like, yeah. I, have, I, I feel, feel like that was pretty highly acclaimed was but like, wasn't it like now we're getting into like like i love that movie if we were in a room full of people and someone was even <laughs> say that that was a good movie i'd jump down their throat and start screaming at all right let's, so let's it's not a hot take. i'm looking for you to say like hold on a second like something like stuck on you like the fairly brothers like worst <laughs> movie or something like that like something bottom barrel okay the butterfly effect has 34 percent on rotten tomato that's sad. But and School of Rock has that's twenty twenty one. Please be low. By, is that what Rotten Tomatoes now is the? Uh, is that our judgment of? Uh, of what pay- is? Why are there multiple Schools of Rock projects? School of Rock, right? That's the name of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, the School of the Rock. School of Rock. Okay. <laughs> it's ninety two percent. It is. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it's maybe it is my bad then. I I just figured it's a movie no one takes seriously and kind of overlooks. It is a. I will say it's a little bit light, but I think it's really good. Yeah. See, Adam turns his nose up to movies like Roadhouse and stuff like that. I why why do you keep saying this? I never said I hated Roadhouse. I never said I didn't like Roadhouse. Roadhouse, Because purposely on the Roadhouse episode, you showed up. I literally didn't talk about it. it. You said you didn't want to be part of it. I'm just kidding. No, he never said that. I've never said that anything bad said, about Roadhouse. Every podcast we're on, okay, you talk about. Hold on a second here. Hold on a second here. Call, call. Let's 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 cool our jets. We're cooling down. <laughs> I just don't like the slander. <laughs> I I know, but you know, I, I think we get a little bit like, are we going by reviews? Are we going by who likes it? I don't are we know. Going by how just... many people went and seen it? Okay. Here's here's a legit guilty. So it's not a movie; it's a show. And even yeah. though people liked it at the time, the show is Entourage. Yeah. And the reason I think it's a guilty pleasure because I just rewatched it, and the misogyny and especially the homophobia. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't realize the homophobia is fucking kind of gross. It is. And this like let's see that's part of it is the time, but it wasn't that and long you didn't ago. Real, you didn't realize it. Not at the time because I was. You didn't uh, realize. But I thought it was cool. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's why. That's, that's why it's a guilty pleasure. It, it, it was more commonplace. I feel guilty for liking it. Never like in life because someone just came around now and said that it's not now commonplace. Am I not now going? Well, now Entourage is a guilty pleasure because you know. No, okay. Obviously, it was more accepted. It was at HBO. The time, it's an HBO, and it probably you know HBO's top fifteen shows of all time. Entourage is a top fifteen show. Right, but what I'm saying is I feel guilty for liking it because I'm re-watching it, and I still like it, even though I realize this is very misogynistic and homophobic. Whereas if I had seen Entourage now, like, for the first time, I'd be like, this is absolutely gross, and couldn't get past a couple episodes. I I just binge-watched eight seasons, and I'm in the middle of watching the movie. I like, find, I still like, like I find, the show. I find, like, this is just my own personal assumption because people are doing this now with, like, Quentin Tarantino's work. They love it. They like it. Not you personally, but they like it. They love it. But now because it's seen through a different light now, it's like, well, we're not going to. Well, there's always that discussion of is he allowed to say the N-word in his movies? Well, that's a whole, but like, that's a whole different conversation. But you don't throw away a movie that's already been deemed successful because now. But people do do that, right? I know it is, but sure. We're going to talk about tar a little bit later like that's conversation they had in tar right yeah yeah like there are people that like we're going to talk about american not on this podcast but soon we're going to talk about american media we've talked about this all the time of like we'd love that movie but like it's hard to talk about now you're right it's especially hard to talk about because kevin spacey's character in american beauty that's a double whammy yep (laughs) well yeah is a is a pedophile basically tarantino i haven't heard too much on entourage I haven't seen articles, people saying, well, you know, we shouldn't watch the show because they talk like this or they did that. But it's because it's basically been like erased from the consciousness that realm, right? Like like when shows like that's what happens with TV shows is they kind of come and go, right? If Entourage was like, they're going to do a reboot of Entourage, then yes, those articles would pop up. But you're not going to write an article like, hey, remember 20 years ago that show that you shouldn't watch anymore? That movie wasn't that long ago. I know. It was, I'm just 10 you years, know. whatever. <laughs> I know what you're saying. But what I'm I saying just, is well, like, I, I guess my point is saying is, is in that particular show, I think that's kind of like, wasn't that like the, the bro theme? 
Right. But like, what I'm saying is like, there was a part of me is because especially when this came out in high school and early college where I like, I was like that. And I did have that thinking and I was a very bro douchebag oh, okay. for especially See, a lot was, of my thinking. So like, I, 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 like, I, was, I wasn't a bro douchebag. So maybe that's why the show was a little bit more of like, I wasn't a like a freck or anything, but like, I definitely like, I didn't watch Entourage thinking this is wrong. Like I rewatch it now sure. and I'm like, this is wrong. And yeah. I would not like, like, 25 year old me really loves it. 35 year old me is like, this is gross. Mm. <laughs> That's why I think it's like a guilty pleasure because I still feel guilty even though I like it. Like I said, I watched, I just binged it. <laughs> Maybe I should have picked Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good, that would have been a good guilty, guilty pleasure. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think definitely you brought up earlier Notebook. I mean, I get, I get sappy in a lot of movies. I'm not gonna lie. Right, an hour before coming on the show, there was a movie on. It's a '90s classic that doesn't get talked about enough, and tears rolled down my face. It was called Grumpy Old Men. Oh um, yeah. At the end of the movie, what's his name has a heart attack, and he goes to the hospital, and the lady's like to Walter Matthau, she's like, "Are you a friend or are you family?" And he's like, "What?" She's like, "Friend or family?" And he goes, "Friend." And I look at my wife and waterworks are coming down and I go, Jesus movie, man. Because I remember a lot watching that as a kid. Um, Steel Magnolias. You ever hear of this movie from the 80s with Julia Roberts? It's another one. She gets cancer in it. Not good. As a kid, I watched my mom crying. I'm all of a sudden crying. I'm not ashamed to cry in movies. Are you ready? Here we go. Here comes a big laugher for you, Adam, that you will be able to hold against me for a long time. Um Tears rolling down my face um, in the movie theater during Armageddon when that stupid Aerosmith song came on. Why? I have no idea. I don't know. And I, it's not because Bruce is going to die. It was just something about the film at that moment. I'm a sucker when it comes to like the film and movies like that. I, 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 I'm not ashamed to say that. So like, I could sit here and talk all night about movies that make me tear up. That might be a whole episode, Adam. Watch out. I think we well, did two an episode. That being said, I like I like different movies. So like that's why even watching there's so many people that I know, even friends, that if I would have been like, why don't you watch my policeman? Then they would have read what it was about. They're like, we're not watching that. Right. Well, yeah, that like, would have been me. I watch I but you also though, you've showed me. You brought what was you brought some really awesome movies that I never would have watched if you didn't tell tell me some of the some some movies because they're out of the box, and sometimes I think movies you gotta be out of the box, and sometimes you find gooder better movies because of it. Gooder, there's no such word as gooder. Gooder. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, but, I'm glad you you agree with me on the butterfly effect because I absolutely love the butterfly effect. I'll, you know what? There's not many topics that will get me arguing with someone, but if someone was to argue with you about the butterfly effect, I'd push you out of the way and start arguing with them for you. And you like, <laughs> that movie, honestly, and, and, and again, I'll bring it up because we bring them up every now and well, quite a lot, but I never forget when I brought that movie to my dad. I'm like, you got to watch this movie because he likes those mind trippy movies. He watched the movie. He said that movie was badass. That movie makes you think if you really honestly, you know why that movie doesn't get the credit it gets? And you know, Ashton Kutcher. you got it. Yeah. And honestly, fair. he did nail the role. I don't think that he did a bad job. 
I also think I saw the original ending, the the, the theatrical ending. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty silly. Yeah. The, yeah, I mean, you, the director direct the director's cut is so bleak mm-hmm. that I, I I love bleak endings like that and I I think it's a tighter script than people give it credit for. It is, you know I think it's it, it is it's one that I think that people should definitely go back and revisit. So like I said, watch the director's cut if you're going to do it. If you're following our suggestion, definitely. Right, Mick, you got any more? I swear I won't berate you this time. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if this is going to be bad enough, but um, all right. This is a movie that I've I've heard got or has gotten a lot of shit lately. So we'll see. As as a you know opposed to the other movie, which has kind of been uh, propped it up a little bit more. Uh, I Robot is that a bad movie? I'll give you I Robot. Okay, yeah. I, I I could defend I Robot. I like I Robot a lot. Um, no, okay, maybe not a lot, but I, I I would watch it if it was on right now. I'd totally watch it. I think it's cool. I think it's a good time. You know, it's a movie that's been done a million times, but I thought it was unique enough. Um, and my buddy used to be able to do that robot's voice really good, where he's like, "I did not kill this man." Oh, that's such like, a cool voice. Who robot, does that right? voice? Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. Yep. Yes. Oh, look at I did Al- not kill this man. <laughs> Sunny, right? Yeah, Sunny, the robot. Yeah, as for Will Smith, I mean, it's. It's not a, I mean, it's another movie that your people are going to like, you know, but it's, it's, it's a good guilty pleasure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wild you know, ride. I mean, I mean generally ish. I think guilty pleasures also could fall under, you know, the eye of the beholder too. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like what one person could find to be a guilty pleasure would be not. One, what one person could find could be, a, could be a guilty pleasure is a movie everybody loves and gets nominated for awards. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that is true. That is true. I still it, did I'm it sorry. really get nominated for a Golden Globe. I almost it did. To... Jack Black at least got nominated. I bet you the movie got nominated for best uh, musical comedy. It also like it was a Broadway play. I saw the Broadway play. Yeah, oh, but really? like you're like the way you're selling this movie is like you're making it sound like it was like it was like this is like was not, like Kubrick did this movie and it's <laughs> Linklater. Linklater is great. But you also know is like his career is like he's got really awesome filmatic movies, right? I mean, like most directors, but I'm just awesome. saying, like for of it has pedigree to it, right? Like who directed I Robot? I I don't know uh, who it directed Alex Proyas. Yeah, like I don't know who directed um, the Butterfly Effect. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. No, Linklater right. has that pedigree. You're that's right. all I'm that's, saying. It's true. It's a fair criticism. Well, boy, yes, he's done Dark City, The Crow, oh, The Knowing. Is... That was not very good. <laughs> Which one? Oh, the Knowing with Nick Cage. Oh yeah, that one was not good at that all. That was rough. Um, not good at all. Bad, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, generally, I'm trying to, a movie that's generally got a rotten tomato score that's under six percent is generally like so like. Like Pauly Shore movies, like movies that are just like unbearable. Like, what's a bad <laughs> comedy movie that people Biodome? What? Yeah, Biodome. Like, Sun. <laughs> is there a comedy movie that you find to be funny, but nobody else finds to be funny? I'm sure if you asked me that 15 to... years ago, I'd have a good answer. Oh yeah, yeah that's 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 fair. For you know I mean? Larry, I'm gonna go. Um... Oh fuck! What's the Caddyshack two? 
Caddyshack too. Yeah. Caddyshack the joke. <laughs> it's, it's, I really it's, like Grandma's Boy, but I feel like everybody who's seen that movie likes it. Yeah, that's honestly another one that is a really, really good movie for. It's actually better than probably half of Sandler's other movies. I don't know if that's a hot take, but uh... what you're not saying it's it's better than Jack and Jill. <laughs> I will say about Jack and Jill, Al Pacino did great in that movie. Who falls in love with Adam Sandler with a wig? So stupid. So, so dumb. bad. So bad. <laughs> okay. Um, Mick, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure whenever you come on. My sincerest. I, I do feel bad for like. Oh, dude, it's it's good content, man. Beat me up all you want. I, I had a good time, dude. No, that that was like a highlight, dude. So no, it's all good. And if if you if you did that and like you didn't have a fair point, I'm like, what? What the hell are you beat me up for? You know, uh, I, I'd maybe be a little PO'd, but no, it's fine. Uh, it's hilarious. So uh, no, dude. You are our guest. I should not be berating our guests. Really I quick. I don't encourage before, people to come on. <laughs> You're really not going to have any guests for a really while. Quick before you, really quick before you go, Mick. Yeah. I was looking at uh, my three accounts ago, and I realized that all, all of us here, we've been talking for over a year about movies coming up here. Oh, wow. Um, I got Adam over here a year ago telling me that I should squeal like a pig based on something on Deliverance. <laughs> Very awesome because, like, you go back and I don't even remember these conversations that we had. So it's cool to see that though this is our second time on the show, and right, we've been talking a long time about movies. So it, That's it, neat. it's cool to know that we keep continuing doing this stuff. So keep you it know, up. I did. I don't. You know, a, a movie that I, you didn't like that I actually do like is um, Red Notice. That. If we have time, you can berate me on on liking Red Notice. <laughs> you 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 legitimately liked Red Notice. I liked it for what it was. Wow. What is Red Notice? The worst the, movie of the last Gal Gadot, Rock, Ryan Reynolds. Oh yes, that. Oh yes. I've never seen a three hundred million dollar movie have such bad everything. Like the CGI was so bad, dude. Where'd the money go? It went to The Rock, it went to Gal Gadot, and it went to Ryan Reynolds. That's where it went. Adam really liked this movie that I'm surprised he didn't mention as his guilty pleasure. It was called Spiderhead. It was on Netflix. <laughs> oh, no, that was, don't watch that movie. That was not a good movie. And Adam did not like that movie. That was a falsification on my part. I'm sorry. <laughs> But thank you, Mick, right. for joining us. All right, where Anytime, can we find guys. you? Uh, yeah, you, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Intoxicated Fan. Um, and if you have a letterbox account and you want to follow me there, click the link in my Twitter bio. I feel like we need to have a letterbox account for this show. You definitely do. Definitely. Get on Letterboxd. Although you're anyway. going to disagree on every movie, so you should have your individual accounts. <laughs> yes. That, Surprisingly, that cool. we, we have similar – we have – like eerily similar taste on a lot, a lot of movies. Yes, and honestly, most of my movie opinions I could bend just so I don't get yelled at by him. I'm okay, <laughs> I'm okay with that. I, I'm, I'm totally okay. I'm, I'm I feel happy like, to catch the stray for you today, Tony. But that's but that's why I had to stay strong on my um, uh, butterfly effect today. I have to stay absolutely. I, I I do feel like there's a there's multiple times where Tony has said. Oh, Adam texted me. I'm not going to like it. So I'm going to go and liking this movie. And it turns out I actually didn't like it. <laughs> I, I was I was actually shocked that we all liked My Policeman and Don't Worry Darling more than we did. Because I thought they both were going to not be as good as they were. 
So yeah, I, I thought I was gonna. Liked, I'm, glad, I'm glad you yeah. both liked my policeman mm-hmm. because um, when I saw that movie released and just kind of what I was hearing about it, it sounded like a good movie to to definitely watch. Absolutely. Right, thank you for watching movies for us. We'll definitely have you back, Mac. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank I'll be you, back, guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Peace out. Cheers. All right. Hello. Hey. Hey. Should we cook out and do this? Uh, do another we one? Or just... It'll probably be easier. I mean, I could edit it, but we'll do that right now. All right. All send right. me another link. Here we go. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. I'm, I'm, to- I'm Tony. And I'm Adam. And I'm Jylan. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, too. Too. <laughs> you, too, too. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> do you want to lead Adam or do you want me to for today? Yeah, How do I, it's Jylan. Well, it's Jylan, but you can always call me Jay because no foreigner I know can say Jylan every time. They just say Jay, and that's it. Okay. Jylan Sala. Yes. Okay. 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 I'll, I'll, All right. I'll either. I'm gonna do my and I apologize if I mess up. <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a bonus edition of the Hookup on Film. We have a very special guest today. She is an Egyptian writer, poet, and movie fan. Welcome, Jylan Sala. How are you? How are you guys? Doing really well. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Good. You reached out on Twitter. Um, We got to talking. You have a pretty awesome topic that you recommended. And it actually turned out better. I think we're going to clear some runway for you so we can have a little extended conversation talking about masculinity and film. Oh, my favorite topic. I'm ready. I, I, I will talk about anything in movies. If it's about a, a cup in a movie scene or whatever you want to talk about. So this is cool. I'm excited. Wonderful. All right, Jay, where do you want to begin? I want to begin with, okay, do you guys feel... Re- <laughs> I'm going to ask you, okay. Because do you guys feel represented on film? Because why I started thinking about masculinity in film, to be honest, it's when I knew this Australian model, he was a very um, handsome guy and he worked as a model. He worked in soap operas and stuff like that. And when I was interviewing him for Synchronized Chaos magazines, I told him, why did you want to become an actor? And he told me when he first came to America, he was a teen, he was traveling the world and he saw these movies with Paul Newman and James Dean, and he saw how hard they tried to play, you know, the macho American man, despite their fragility, or as if they were fighting against it. And he was so taken by it, although to him, they were more close to him than I think other men on screen. And this got me thinking like, wow, I always feel like I'm missing something when they show men on screen, especially because I'm a kid of the 90s. I'm a teen of the 90s and the late 80s. I was born in 1988. So for me, the 90s was a very masculine, heavy time where you see Schwarzenegger and Van Damme and you see um, all those action heroes. Even Nicolas Cage was an action hero at the time. You see all these people just, uh, there was the Die Hard movies and I was obsessed with Bruce Willis for some reason. And to see all these, you know, like tough guys on screen you're just okay but i don't see men like that in real life or they aspire to be 
this person all the time and I feel it's putting a pressure on them just like we're as a woman you know like we're aspiring to be a different breed of femininity but this is another story I hope for another podcast so I just wanted to see have you guys felt uh, represented on screen anytime like who did you connect to I think for me growing up I always connected to teen comedies for a while it was I always enjoyed those um, Schwarzenegger films that, and, you know, diehards and all those, those films and action stars that you represented. But I never personally looked at them and, and thought, this is who I should aspire to me, especially someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger and like The Rock nowadays. You look at their bodies and how they're built, and it's like they're, they're very obviously unrealistic. Yes. I think if we're going... So, like, I, I never, I never saw Arnold Schwarzenegger and goes like, "That's who I want to be." But weirdly, you're talking about the '90s. I think a really influential film is uh, Fight Club. Oh yeah. Have you seen Fight? Because I think if you ask guys what the ideal male physical form is, it's Brad Pitt and Fight Club. Oh wow. Because that's that's something that, like, even though it's a little bit unrealistic, he doesn't look like a huge like Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Rambo-type guy. He looks, in theory, like just a really good-looking guy that could be attainable. Now, obviously, unless you have, like, you're literally working out 24-7, it's still not that obtainable. But <laughs> yeah. um, I heard an interview with uh, Kumail Nanjiani after he did Eternals. Ooh. And you know, there's those, I don't know if you saw those posters where he got really cut for the Marvel film. And like he, that's the one that he was like talking about. Where it's like, that's who I wanna to be like was Brad Pitt in Fight Club. Wow! And now he's gonna be a Chippendale dancer in his new in his new television show that's produced. I think it's coming out. Yeah. Ooh! Wow! Really? Yeah, it's gonna be. Cool. Uh, he he um he he started the franchise. I don't think it's gonna be a dancer. Well, he he does show him in the the uh, the commercial dancing. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think he, you know, and he's continued to stay in that same shape. It's not like he just did it for the Eternals and then went back to another shape. He's continued to stay into that physical physique. So that's good. But I think overall, you were talking about like James Dean a little bit earlier and, and Paul Newman. And I think just for the longest time, American films was a representation of American culture and it was like a mirror back. So what American masculinity, we thought it should be was represented in films and films were trying to be a version of what um, we thought society was. And I think then you get this self-fulfilling prophecy then for the longest time, you do get these like very macho, men who can do no wrong like you know paul newman in this and, and um redford and, and butch cassidy yeah. or james dean and in, in his films i mean there's a, a taylor swift line and we talked about this earlier it's like her she had a song a couple years ago she's like james dean blue jean look in your eye like that yeah. james dean style of like almost like idyllic version that we now think of James Dean. 
like still resonates in our society. Okay. Wow. When I think of James, you know, I think of like the French version of him would be like Alain Delon, you know, like I always, because it, French cinema was big here in Egypt in the 70s and in the 60s and stuff like that. So he was also, I think, idyllic of what a, a man God should be, although he was a very controversial figure. But as, you know, acting in films and stuff, I think he was like the French version of these guys for some reason. They were almost unrealistic, not just as physicality, but as, you know, like blurring the line between what's masculine and what is, you know, aesthetic or something like that. But at the same time, for me, it was just an image, but it wasn't real. Or this is how I saw it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's that's definitely I, I I can see that, you know. But and that's what the studios the studios wanted everyone to think the opposite, though. You know, I think they wanted these people to think that they weren't damaged when James Dean, yeah. even when he was acting in those movies, was was going through quite a lot. Yeah, made him damaged. And I think that the film that he made now looking back at some of those three movies that he made, you could see some of that in the film, but that's not what they were trying to go for. You know? Yeah, and that's where now actors like Brad Pitt can kind of show they could be both. They could be like Fight Club, but then they can make a movie like Legends of the Fall where they could show a little bit more in there into their emotions. So um, Paul Newman, too, he's a great one because just recently they did the documentary on HBO about Paul Newman. And um, I had somebody who is older, like in their 70s, who's always admired Paul Newman because he was strong. But in this documentary, it just says all the, the reasons why he was going through personal struggles. But the film didn't, exactly. show, didn't show that. So, you know, I think back then, you know, it might have even done these actors more justice to let a little bit of that out to people. I'm also curious how much of the James Dean, Paul Newman type version of masculinity was built upon what Westerns, how they define masculinity. Because for the longest time, Westerns were the premier genre of American cinema and for the longest time and it started off with we have the lone man of violence who he's the one who has to save the day whether it's fighting against the and this is not how I feel but how the movies portrayed him as the savage Indians yeah. or against other unmasculine type folks. I think, you know, John Wayne in particular um, is the stereotypical version of this character. And then later it would be Clint Eastwood. But so much of like what we think of in American cinema, I think is like rooted in its core in these Westerns of this is a guy, he's a loner and he has cause and reason to be violent and is celebrated for his violence. And I think that's kind of like a, almost the original sin of masculine, that tough guy stereotypical masculinity in American cinema. And I think 
as we've progressed a hundred years or so, we're either trying to redefine that trope or go back to that trope or be a subversion of that trope. But ultimately I think it's that trope in those um, Western films that like really solidified, like here's what it is to be a man. And I think um, something like Brokeback Mountain, why it was celebrated is because it took that Western genre and it's up, here's what it takes. There's these cowboys, you know, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal. These are manly men. Yes. And then it turns out that they're queer. Yeah. And I think it's it's telling that queer story through that lens of masculinity that was built upon American cinema all those years ago. And for me, I think it's... Wow, I think I hope I'm not speaking before anybody because I like to speak a lot. Sorry, but um, for me, I think this this genre, the the western, has always been for me like an idea into how I perceived American cinema in general. Like it was obsessed with masculinity, it was obsessed with violence, it was always with violence. Like you can see even the mirrors of this genre in the action movies of the '90s and on the two O O's, especially after nine eleven, where you feel like. Um, all the violence in the movies is justified. It's always the American saving the day. Yeah, he has to do it because otherwise it will be blown. The whole world will go airy and stuff like that. So I think the Western has had a, a major effect on all films where it has to be male dominated. They have to be straight. They don't have to have weaknesses. They always have a wife, a good wife or a good lover. And they have to have all these femme fatales whom they overtake in the end. Or the woman is just portrayed to be like an evil bad woman even if she wins at the end but she's still this character that is to be antagonized so for me i think the westerns have had an effect too on on the the action movies of the 90s and stuff like that which i grew up with and they kind of they made the platform for what it's like to be a, an american in in the eyes of other people or in the eyes of the world, you're just riding on your horse with the gun, with the cowboy hat, and you're looking so fine. And you're just looking at the world with this look like you you are winning all the time. Or else if you don't win, you know, the whole world, even you whom he can surpass you or whatever, will just go down. So, yeah. So this is why Brokeback Mountain was revolutionary in a way, because it shook that image to the core. It kind of poked fun at it or just, you know, jabbed it like, haha. Maybe it's not that at the end. Maybe there was something else under the surface. Well, I think you could go all the way back to 1969 to like Midnight Cowboy. Uh, that also had all the same exact themes as Brokeback Mountain. And it was also nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think every single year, actually, you can go through and I could list about five to ten movies that go against some of that. But there are a lot of major movies that do also showcase that. Yeah. Have you guys seen the movie, the um, Brian Cranston movie, Trumbo, about the blacklisted writer Dalton Trumbo? Yes. No, I haven't. Okay, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, but there's a, there's a point. So Dalton Trumbo was a real-life Hollywood screenwriter who got blacklisted during the communist Red Scare era in the 1950s. And there was a, a real, when we're talking about, you know, these Westerns, I just, I go back to a line in the film where the character of, so Dalton Trumbo, he's portrayed by Brian Cranston, 
who like if you know what Brian Cranston looks like, he's he's a good looking guy, but you know he's not the I guess not the what you would stereotypically call like the ideal masculine physique and type, right? Yeah. And definitely. no shots at Brian Cranston, who's obviously a very looking guy, but um, you know, he's he's kind of portrayed, you know, to be even schlubbier in the movie. And he's having a conversation with um John Wayne, um, you know, a guy playing John Wayne, and they're talking about the war efforts where John Wayne, he's part of this American propaganda. Um, like the U.S. is like trotting him out, kind of like a Captain America type guy of like, here's American idealism. And he ends up having a conversation with Dalton Trumbo about fighting the war. And like um, John Wayne was like, he's like looking down on Dalton Trumbo and then Brian Cranston, this Trumbo has this great line of like, well, only one of us actually fought in the war. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't you. Something along those lines where I think it's this fun, interesting contrast where this guy, John Wayne, is portrayed to be like the all-American guy and the symbol of masculinity, yet he didn't actually fight. He's not the one. He didn't actually risk his life. He's just part of the propaganda versus this guy who's a writer, kind of a slug writer, actually did fight for America and did fight for the war, but yet is looked down upon by John Wayne. I just thought that was such an interesting moment because it kind of like that essence is still reminiscent today in both American culture and American filmmaking where and I think that's also a good point you mentioned like about the American nationalism too where those westerns are right and I think superhero now fill that same void of not only is this here's the ideal masculine type but they're also all American. You know, Superman is not only, um, you know, probably presented as perfect version of masculinity, but he's bo- born in, he was raised in Kansas. He's a good old American boy. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And also, you know, you, you have, like, for me, all the guys that I, I would friend and I would go out with at the time, they were so enamored by this image. I mean, like, it gave guys all over the world you know like the idea of wanting to become that guy like i know a lot of guys who wanted to become bruce willis in die hard i know a lot of guys who are just obsessed now with all the marvel heroes and stuff so when you think about the effect that all these movies have and when i would talk to my dad and he would talk to me like uh, about the good the bad and the ugly like it was the definition of cool back then so to be the guy with no name and stuff like that. So for me to to think of the idea of how it affected a lot of young men, or at least it gave them this dream escape image of becoming a better version of themselves. I would just I would just like to look at it in terms of how men view themselves and at the same time how masculinity is portrayed and have had this wildly. Well, being somebody, I was born in 1982. So all of these action movies that you're talking about, I, I've seen them so many different times. Yeah. But I've always viewed it as more of escapism than yeah. something that I've wanted to become. Yeah. So every time I've left the film, the film theater, I've never walk, walked out to my car and wanted to be Bruce Willis or talked to anybody or wanted to be it. I think also sometimes there's a psych in the human person yeah. that they need to feel that they need to be something else where yeah. I don't think that that's every single man or every single woman has to feel that way but there is a percentage 
that is at least probably over 50%, but still, like as a young kid even, I mean, because you got to see, I'm watching Bruce Willis, Arnold, Sylvester Stallone, you said Nicolas Cage. I didn't want to be all four of those people, or did yeah. I want to pick just one and be it, but I did know a lot of kids on the playground running around saying that they were Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, and also sometimes I think a lot of that, I don't know, parents should have probably did something too. <laughs> but it's 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 definitely very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Tony, do you find that there's a version of masculinity on film that you think has affected you in any way, whether even if it isn't those 80s movies? Yeah, I mean, the kind of things that I used to look at always, the people that I always look for, and I don't even know why I'm even thinking about him because he's not one of my, but like comedy. So things that made me laugh, I would go and then try to read <coughs> those same humorous jokes, even in those teen comedies that you brought up earlier. You know, seeing those jokes and then going to school and trying to repeat those jokes and get people to laugh. It's just like, I guess, the action stars, except now I'm instead of trying to be an action star, I'm trying to be a comedian. So there is a, a version of the same thing where I could imagine in other cultures, they hear jokes or hear things that they wouldn't usually hear and then repeat them would definitely inspire the same way. But like I would say, not action i always thought they were cool though i mean nobody's ever going to watch nobody's ever going to be nine or ten and watch things and not be enamored by like an arnold schwarzenegger you know but it's like you said you know i can't see you being somebody who's like i'm arnold schwarzenegger you know but <coughs> you know it, it, it is it, it, i can see though see i'm always enamored still even the more i get older i'm more enamored into female roles than even male roles because a lot of male roles become a lot i call it like cookie cutter like a lot of this stuff some of the stuff like the rock is doing it becomes where at least when arnold was doing there was a little bit more of a bravado now it seems to be very cookie cutter but yeah. i could be wrong about that too no i think, I think it's true i think you and I are on the same page, and like we're so similar. That's why we have a movie show together. Where I'm like you, I think, you know, like how I viewed masculinity in film on my life wasn't related to action films, but was towards comedy. Like for some reason, I keep thinking of like American Pie. Yeah. Where I was like in middle school when that movie came out, and obviously my views of sex hadn't weren't fully formed or correct. And I was still like an idiot little kid, but I viewed that film and I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. This and... movie... <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, this movie was big here, you guys. Oh, I, I have man. no idea. Oh, big here too, yeah. See, that's what's cool. It's cool that I'm glad you're on the show because just even you saying that, I could like, I could imagine that's. I'm a very empathetic person, so any movie that that's cool that to just think that that was going on all over, you know. But I think you know when you're like a an 11 year old boy and you see in Jason Biggs humping a pie, like <laughs> that's just the funniest thing in the world. And it's like, wait, is that what sex is really like? Is it really? Like... <laughs> and obviously, it's not. But then, like. Cut to a couple years later where I'm a senior in high school and the 40-year-old virgin comes out. 
And I'm a little bit smarter than that, but I think even a movie like that, you know, six years later after American Pie had come out, where, you know, I, I like there's more sympathy for that Steve Carell character, right? Like, at least the way I viewed it is that, you know, now, like, I think six years later, that character's an incel. But in 2005, yeah. that character is, you know, he's a nice guy. He's, you know, he's not like a she's all that where he meets the Catherine Keener character to have sex with her. He meets her to fall in love with her. And then, you know, after they're married, they have sex. And I just think that that radical shift between, you know, something like American Pie and the 40-year-old virgin, you know, we, we start to see really shifts away from that, you know, teen comedy that actually was part of American cinema for a long, you know, going back to Animal House. But then now I think if you're doing a comedy in 2022, it's, or nowadays it's something like Booksmart where it doesn't even star a man, you know, it stars, you know, two girls. And I think just, I think how um, at least American morals have translated into film have really translated more into comedies than action movies. Because, like, the number one movie of the year, right, is American, excuse me, is Top Gun, you know, but has that very similar view of masculinity in 2022 as it did in 1985 versus, you know, comedies, at least, you know, it didn't do well, unfortunately, but a movie like Bros, where it's, at least they're trying to have a rom-com with uh, two queer characters, You know, I, I mean, I think definitely um, back to, you know, a little bit on the action people. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of it, too, it, it could be okay, if you come from a household that's very conservative and you're not used to hearing the stuff. And then you see Arnold saying these lines and walking into rooms and talking to people like you've never seen him talking to people. That's going to make it feel like he, these people are like invincible people. So I could see that being very attractive to you know, many households, you know, and sadly, as we've talked about before, Adam, my, uh, you know, from the age of nine or 10, these movies were all being played, you know, in front of me. So like immediately I, I could see why people can have that feeling, especially because I had friends that would be like, can I come over to your house and watch these movies? Because I'm not allowed to watch them at my house. And I'd have to say, no, because you know why I don't it's, I don't watch them because I can't watch them. If I want to watch them, I'll watch them. But I'm not sure going to have someone have me have show you. But it's different though. Now with the internet, you could watch pretty much anything, anything, anything that you want to watch like this. Yeah, Jay, I'm curious how much difference, if there is any, do you think of masculinity in film between American cinema and Egyptian cinema. Okay, there is a lot. I've written about that too. Well, first, in Egyptian cinema, it's usually the, the, the alpha male, you know, like the guy who is not usually the best looking, but usually, you know, like the strongest in terms of character mainly. Okay, there was a breed, of course, of Egyptian action, which needs a whole new episode. But mostly the Egyptian ideal man would be 
semi-religious. He would be like strong as in controlling. He knows how to handle a woman. He knows how to work. He knows how to take his rights and stuff like that. So you always had these. But some of the more revolutionary directors, specifically in the 80s and of course, Yusuf Shaheen came in like the 50s or 60s or something, but his more revolutionary work came at the late 70s and stuff like that. They tried to break this character and he had more of the, what I would call the dream boys of the Egyptian cinema, who were similar to, you know, like Leo DiCaprio, similar to Devin Sawa, similar to the softer roles of the Brad Pitt, the, the dream boys of the 90s, who were like the counterpart of the male action heroes and stuff like that, where you would feel he was more interested in them showing their emotions, there was homoerotic tension, there was breaking the mold of the the all you know, like the old Egyptian guy, the guy who knew how to joke, how to get girls, how to do good in life, how to get even with the bad guys. He wouldn't necessarily be like super strong or super handsome, but he would be super charismatic. He would be like the coolest guy in the room. He knew how to crack jokes. He knew how to get away with anything and stuff like that. We had this even in comedy. Like we had a very, very prominent action comedy movie star. His name is Adil Imam. This guy... He was the best of the best because he was a hero for as long as you can imagine. All his films broke the box office because he was he played into this psyche, this idea of an old Egyptian hero. But an old Egyptian hero is not an old American hero. He is not super great body because he wouldn't be relatable. People wouldn't look to him and feel like, wow, I know this guy. I can be this guy. He's just the normal Egyptian body, the normal Egyptian mannerisms the not but he would be super funny like for for real he's so smart like he's steve martin's sm comedy you know like the comedy that you get at any time and he would make anybody laugh and all the beautiful super beautiful girls because most at least in the past era egyptian female stars were super beautiful so they would all be for him so you get your piece of that I'm imagining like a little bit less sexier Ryan Reynolds. In a way, yeah. In a way, totally. Yeah. That. It's funny. I remember, I can't even remember what movie I was watching, but when I was in high school for like my birthday, a bunch of my friends went to see a movie. And oh, you know what it was? It was um, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Yeah. And um, one of my friends, she, she was really attracted to the Kumar character. And it's kind of like along the same lines that you were talking about. It, it wasn't, I mean, obviously, um, Cal Penn is, is very good looking, yeah. but she was she was more attracted to, because he was that, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that kind of guy that you were talking about, where he is, like, he feels like he's the coolest guy in the room. Yes. He's the, He's the funniest guy in the movie where he's playing off the straight-laced Harold, uh, John Cho's character. And why, why she like she like really like had a, started to have a crush on Cal Penn was because of just how suave Cal Penn was in that movie. Definitely. Definitely. I can totally see that, yeah, in a way. But put in, of course, like a bit of he can do action too, but in his own way, you know, like it's a bit of a slapstick action, but he still can get the bad guys. He can still, you know, like stand in front of, let's say institutions, blah, 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 Egyptian mafia and stuff like that. But in his own, you know, like in his own imperfect way and it's still cool and he'd still win. 
do you find that this version of the Egyptian hero is in specific contrast, like because of American movies, or do you think it was just because of its own thing based upon Egyptian culture, like uh, as a reflection of Egyptian culture? This is a great question. Thank you. Why? What I feel is a reflection of the Egypt of the American action movie. Unfortunately, is the later action uh, Egyptian action cinema when it's the OOs specifically. You have your action heroes who are more handsome, who are more fit, who can do anything, who are more in tone of a perfect male. And you have this, this character or this icon of Egyptian action hero going back or retreating. But this one, the one that I'm talking about, is more representative of, of the Egyptian culture. Like you would go into the Egyptian street, into the Egyptian, let's say, workplace, and you would feel that this guy is winning, and you would feel that this guy is the coolest guy, and you would feel that everybody wanted to be this guy. But later on, when it's the OOs, you have tons of Egyptian action heroes, and they're all, they all feel like they're good looking guys, and they can do action. They're trying to insert humor, but it's not really working. At least, Okay, the I think the most successful one of them would be a very cute guy who turned, you know, like when you have this cute actor who turns into a serious looking guy, but people still love him. So although he lost most of his babyish charisma, okay, his name is Karim Abdul Aziz. This I think is the most successful one. Why? Because he stood the test of time. Until now, he is making action and people love him. Not because he is the most good looking or the fittest, but because he has I think the best sense of humor and he started off you know like chill on the acting side and heavier on the comedy side comedy is essential in egyptian cinema it's i think the most successful genre you can have your romantic comedies you can have your action comedies that are higher on the comedy and lesser on the action when things started <coughs> action heavy things started losing their essence becoming more of manifestations or just you know like mimicking of certain american movies that they've seen and liked it's it's so like every time I, I know he's probably not. I just I keep going back to Ryan Reynolds when you're talking about Egyptian heroes, just because definitely he is. I think he, he'd be great here, <laughs> and people love him too. It's just because like when he first started off, he was in like comedies like Waiting and um, Van Wilder, and now he like is basically like an action star. Like you know, for Netflix, he did that like Red Notice movie. Yeah. Um, and like when he acts, he just feels like he's a quip machine where he's just always saying these one-liners. And like when you're talking about the ideal Egyptian hero, I just like I just I keep coming back to like this sounds like Ryan Reynolds would be killing it in Egypt. He'd, he'd be the best. Seriously. If he learned to talk Egyptian, oh my god, people would love it. He'd be like the dude everybody fist bumps when he's walking on the streets hey, and stuff. Good, good. <laughs> um, do you find that in at least American cinema, that American masculinity has changed or evolved in the past 10 years? Or do you think it's still kind of the same? It's still just a reflection of some sort of reflection of those Western tropes just now modernized? I feel it has changed, it has changed dramatically. I mean, like now when I see a successful star like Timothée Chalamet, for example, and he's becoming the guy, you know, like he's the darling, the director's darling, obviously, like all the foreign directors are working with him, but he's still also appearing in Dune, for example, 
and he's killing it. So yeah, to have I don't think he would have been that successful before. I mean, even Leo DiCaprio when he started, because he gave he gave me the vibe of Leo in the beginning, but even more evolved because he's blurring the gender lines even more and he's becoming this fluid character of sorts, which is so interesting because a lot of girls love him and a, a lot of girls are crushing on him, for example. Besides, I think it has become more diverse. Like you're having now the Black Panther movies, which are the action movies, and you have a lot of black actors and stuff. So I think it has changed. Even, yes, in the 90s, of course, we had Wesley Snipes, whom I had a huge crush on when I was... <laughs> but not because of the Blade movies, because he appeared in this movie, Money Train, with Jay. Oh, Young, that's great, yes. I love uh, this Woody movie. Harrelson, oh, Chris Cooper is the bad guy. That's a classic right there. Yeah, I love this movie so much. I, I love them since that We're movie. We're back one day just to talk about Money Train. That's awesome. Oh, please, because I love it so much. Okay. And I don't feel I have talked about it enough. Oh, man. <laughs> There's this scene where they're just fighting, and, and I'm like, my God. God, what is this? I was a little girl when I watched that. I was, ooh, okay. This is the best part of the podcast so far. This is awesome. Western style is cool. I loved him so much, really. And this is why I watched, I think, every lame movie that he made afterward because of that movie. I was like, I gotta watch this guy. And I told my dad, like, you you find someone and you're like, I gotta see all this. Awesome. And I just, I kind of like nagged my dad, like, get me all his movies. It was on <laughs> a video cassette back then. So he'd go to the video club and just rent it. And it was crazy days. That's awesome. Did you like Wesley Snipes more than Will Smith? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like Will Smith at all. I thought he was an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. I just didn't oh, like yeah. him. Yeah. Why, why? I, I love Will Smith. What? <laughs> Really? No, I'm curious. What what was it about Will Smith that that you liked, or what was it about that Wesley had that Will Smith didn't have? He's cooler. Okay, for me, he was. I think for me, he was more ground. Like for me, okay, I felt like Will was trying so hard to be the yes. good guy, and I hate it when people do that in real life and in movies. Tom Cruise. Like Tom Cruise. Hello. Smile. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, Will... sorry, I was just gonna say, I think Will Smith like. It's like you can like he was very very careful in picking his projects, yeah. and you're right. I think it did show up on film. Like he was like perfectly manicuring his image mm-hmm. in a way that Wesley Snipes I don't think cared. This is what I loved about him. I love kind of I love Rebels, which is why always when we would always have the Tom Cruise Brad Pitt debate in school. Okay, we were girls. We watched Interview with the Vampires. We were horny <laughs> teenagers, and we thought, "Wow, oh damn it!" And we felt like the homoerotic tension was just so high. We didn't understand it back then, but we felt like it was off. And then we would talk about Interview with the Vampires all the time. We would have the Tom Cruise versus Brad Pitt debate. I always felt like Tom Cruise was the old clean cut guy, and I hated him. And Brad Pitt was more edgier and kind of like uh, more vulnerable and trying so hard to be tough and broody and, you know, like dark and shit. And I like that so much. So for me, Wesley Snipes, is, uh, Will Smith could dance his butt off in like Men in Black and stuff. And I hated it. I, I only love Tommy Lee Jones and I love the giant <laughs> That's cool. Tommy yeah. Lee Jones. This is good. I, I think it's so funny that you and your friends, when you're talking about Brad Pitt, gravitated towards Interview with the Vampire and guys are going to talk about Brad Pitt gravitated towards Fight Club. Fight Club, yeah. Wow, see? And well, Legends of I, I mean, I think, I, I, for me personally, I think it that also depends on what crowd you're talking to. I mean, there's many different Brad Pitts. 
that I've heard a lot of different crowds talk about. Yeah, like fight. Those are all big ones. Both of those that you mentioned. I remember the interview with the vampire people because that movie came out in '94. I was 12, and my mom took me to that movie, yeah. and immediately I I see everything that you're saying because Brad Pitt's way cooler in that movie than Tom Cruise's. Sure. But uh, but then in Fight Club, I also see. I remember that, you know, but. Brad Pitt's cool, and like even in like True Romance, he's pretty cool. It's just the guy sitting on the couch. Just totally but uh, what uh, you had mentioned, Elvis, recently, yeah. you had yeah. seen Elvis, and yeah. did you enjoy that movie? Very for me, very much. Yeah, because I liked Austin Butler. To be honest, I thought he was amazing, Ooh. and I thought he gave me this very vulnerable vibe too that I liked. He wasn't even hiding it. It was, you know, for me, I really like it when someone is like, fuck it, you know, like, I'm going to show it all in your faces. So for me, he played Elvis in a way that didn't make Elvis the stereotypical, you know, like, hey, how are you? For me, it was more, I'm broken and shit. And I like that so much. I, I was thinking maybe it was uh, Tom Hanks' character that brought those awesome no, I'm just kidding. I know. Great. Oh, what a great performance. I know. What a big hurdle, Parker. He's great. He was good, too. But for me, this is what I liked. The idea, I never thought he would, Elvis would be played that way because I'm an Elvis fan, as in, you know, listening to Elvis songs and liking them and blah, 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 because I'm a romantic, unfortunately. I'd rather be a cynical only. But <laughs> when I just watched Elvis, it was like, wow, he's like a rock star. I never thought they would take Elvis in the rock star category of the Doors type and stuff like that, where you would see, or Amy Winehouse, where you would see the decline of this amazing person who just had no control over his emotions, and he had this grit and grunge and stuff like that, while being so, you know, like vulnerably masculine and stuff. So for me, I liked it, and I felt it gave me a different idea. It reminded me of Yusuf Shaheen films, which I'm obsessed with. So you mentioned Leonardo DiCaprio a little bit earlier, and you're about my age. So I'm curious how you and your friends viewed DiCaprio after Titanic. Okay. Because I feel like he immediately became a sex symbol to like all my friends, and basically in America. But I'm curious, like, how you and your friends viewed him. <laughs> I don't want to, because it was seriously when. You always remember the first moment when you watch a film and you feel like, oh, my God, you don't understand what's happening. You're a little person and you're growing and you feel there are hormones, but you don't understand what is happening to you. OK, so you watch this scene in a movie and you feel like, oh, my goodness, this was the, the drawing scene in Titanic. For us as little girls, we were like, oh, my gosh. And. I don't know. I don't think it had an effect on guys at all. The guys didn't. The guys I knew didn't like Leo DiCaprio. They didn't even care for him. But all my girlfriends and stuff, we would talk about Titanic. We would analyze it to the bone. We didn't really care about the ship sinking and the cool effects. Of course, it was great. Blah blah blah. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, James Cameron. But we really cared about this this creature. You know, like this guy, this Leo DiCaprio guy. Like, where did he come from? Which is why I think he lost his charm for a lot of women I knew when he progressed. But his respect deepened because he cared too much to pick really serious uh, films and stuff like that. And that was just, this is the conclusion. We were horny for him. <laughs> I think everyone was. I don't think you need to be embarrassed by that. I know because it was. I remember it was a crazy time for us girls. We would like share his photos and stuff, and we would just talk about Titanic and the like. And some girls would make up, you know, like scenes. 
And I'd be like, but I watched the movie. This wasn't in it. Are you serious? And she'd be like, yeah, I saw the uncut version. There was this rumor that there is a hidden uncut version somehow. And every girl you see would tell you a different version of the story. Like, yes, it was five hours long. I saw it. I got it. Someone smuggled the video from America. And we saw the whole movie. And it was, it was great times. I wish I could write an essay about it or something. Because you guys were essentially doing your own Leonardo DiCaprio fan fiction before the internet. <laughs> before fan fiction started, yeah. <laughs> or maybe it started and we didn't know. There was no internet back then. I, 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 it brings up a quick memory really quick. As I remember, in, um, I think that movie came out when I was in was it eighth grade, right around eighth grade. And my buddy had a, a foreign exchange student from Japan staying with him in me and him brought her to go see Titanic. Wow. And um, I'll always be curious because she didn't speak any English. But, like, the whole movie, she just had a smile on her face. And he tried to, like, communicate after the movie. And she just smiled and said, good, very good. But now <laughs> that now what you're saying now, I'm imagining now what she was really thinking. Now it's finally clicking. Now. Yes. <laughs> now you figured it out. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, you have put all the pieces together, and now 40 years later, you know, I mean, now I know. Now I know what it was. <laughs> and this evil guy, he made Romeo and Juliet before it, I think a year before it too, so yeah. he kind of, he was hitting us. <laughs> Girls was, were like falling. Oh, oh yeah, they were, they were, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was so cool. But for me, like, for, for me, it was him and Wesley Snipes. I, but no, none <laughs> of my friends loved Wesley Snipes. For me, Wesley Snipes was like the epitome of, I don't know, it was like a guy just going his way in the world. He was, he was a demolition man. You know, he and, was, he was, and he wasn't even fa that famous. And this is what made me, like, yeah, he was famous, but not, you know, like, Will Smith. Like, all my friends would know Will Smith and love him. Mostly. A lot of girls liked Will Smith. A lot of guys liked Will Smith. But for me, I just thought, wow, He's better, no, and I would always root for him. Like, do more. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, I have a final question for you. Okay. Is there an actor um, who you feel has had a career, whether it be Egyptian or American, who has had the career where it's like, I wish that all films took what his version of masculinity is and presented it to the world? Like, who do you feel best represents masculinity to you? Oh, gosh. That is fine, I know. Wow, this is hard. This is harder than I thought, to be honest. But, you know, I don't, I don't think there was an... Can you believe it? I don't think there's a single actor. Like, for me, I, I think an actor was really good, and I would root for him, like, Trevante Rodis, for example, in Moonlight. I was so excited for him. I thought, wow, this guy, he could do wonders, because he gave me the, the ideal version of masculinity, and then he disappears. Xavier Dolan, he's this Canadian filmmaker. He made this meta movies where he inserted himself in the narrative in a very smart Frenchy way, and I thought, this guy is just amazing. He's breaking all masculinity rules. And then he disappears after, I think, four films. His later films have uh, 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 went down. So for me, <laughs> I wish I could say Wesley. Can I say Wesley? <laughs> you can. Absolutely. Yes, please do. <laughs> the world should <laughs> copy Wesley. Oh, gosh. No, of course no, because he had really bad movies, and I was so pissed off at him. I would be like, why did you do this <laughs> when the movie <laughs> turns out to be bad? But um, I don't know. I think. I think maybe Wesley Snipes, maybe Daniel Day-Lewis, because I loved his... I didn't feel like Daniel Day-Lewis 
gave me a masculinity vibe at all. He was oh, just yeah, there. Yeah. He was a, he was the person. Yeah. Exactly. He was a human. And for me, yeah. of course, yeah. I would say Daniel Delos. Because for yeah. me, when I watched The Last of the Mohicans, I didn't think of it as Straight a war movie Straight at all. I thought it was a romance. And yeah. I just threw away, I don't remember any part of the, and I didn't even feel like it was a damsel in distress. And I got, no, it felt so human, so ethereal, so realistic. These were people in turmoil and someone had to save another person. And it was just wonderful. So Daniel Dela is definitely, and Wesley Snipes, sorry. <laughs> Wesley, Wesley Snipes is one, a little bit below number two, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. All right, Austin, do you have any more questions? No, no, I think we, we've hit all of them. Um, I am definitely a lot of these, because uh, Adam had mentioned some of the films that you had talked about, um, definitely going to watch some of them and we'll even talk in more in depth next time. But thank you, thank you for coming. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us, this was a great conversation. We really appreciate your, you and, and your point of view. Definitely have a new found respect for Wesley Snipes. Good. Yes. Um, yes. Tell us where we can find you and your writing. Okay, you can just find me on thepearls.com. I write about music and poetry there. You can find me on Twitter at Jailan Salman, uh, on Instagram too, Jailan Salman. I also do visual poetry and stuff like that and short movies on Instagram. So just find me there and connect with me. I'd love to know more Wesley Snipes fans. <laughs> Real quick, who's one of your favorite fans that you like? Metallica. I'm a metalhead. Yeah. Oh, oh. Nice. Metallica. Are you serious? And Led Zeppelin and Pink Kill Floyd. Kill them all. Guys. By the lightning. Master Puppet and Justice for All. Metallica. Master Puppet. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. That's that's awesome. Very guys. Cool. No, I'm a metalhead. Please don't let me start. Oh, no. Uh, you're talking to someone who that's what I was listening to. You sh that's... That's where I was finding my masculinity was a metal back in there. Me, I'm finding my feminine. I'm finding my grime. My 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 teen angst was all yeah. metal. There you go. Very yeah. cool. We'll we'll talk more about it next time. Awesome. Please. Okay. I'm in. And if you guys make any episode about money train, please get me as the guest, not anyone else. I'm telling you. <laughs> me and Adam are gonna have a private conversation, and we're definitely gonna work in money train at some time. Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Welcome to this breakdown of the very, very, very new horror movie called Smile from 2022. It is a horror film directed by Parker Finn. It stars Sosie Bacon. You may recognize that last name because her dad is Kevin Bacon and her mom is Kira Sedgwick. It also stars Jesse T. Usher from the show Billions. Wow, 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 wow. Very, very awesome. We also had took in $211 million on a $17 million budget. I think it's one of the best horror films of the year. Some compared it to modern day horror movies. Let's see what we got going on here. We Let's pull someone in here and see what they thought of this movie. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? Going very, very, very well. Good. Um, so, yeah, what did I you think of this? What did you think of this movie, Smile? Um, I liked it. You know, it wasn't as scary as I thought it was gonna be, but I thought Sozie Bacon did a really good job, and it definitely freaked me out. 
Um, so in terms of modern horror movies, I thought it was done well. Um, Cal Penn was really cheesy as like her boss. Um, so <laughs> overall, was. I really liked it. Very, very good. Good. Yeah. A good modern horror day film. Yeah. If Not it was bad. on again, I'd watch it again for sure. So. Well, very good. Very good. Thank you yeah. so much for joining. No problem. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. So again, as you heard, it's compared to a lot of modern day horror movies. Um, Paramount Pictures was the um, was who uh, tapped Parker Finn to write and direct this movie. I think the marketing was great for this movie. Um, during several Major League Baseball games, the weekend before the film's release, an apparent viral marketing stunt occurred as the studio or marketing firm purchased seats behind home plate with actors smiling manically into the camera for the pitcher batter shot for extended periods of time. Some of the actors wore shirts with the name and logo of the film on the front. A tie-in with the crayon text-to-image generator involved AI generation of images of nightmare smileys. Very, very awesome. Very, very good. It is now currently out on your video on demand. Um, it's going to be on Blu-ray and DVD on the 13th. Um, it is currently playing for free on Paramount+, Plus, considering that is the company who has decided to... Uh, well, who decided to make this movie. But all aside, I definitely think that Smile is definitely a worthy uh, worthy of your time, especially into the horror genre. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, again, go ahead and check out Smile. It is a good little film. Definitely, if you're into scaries, the acting, everything, very good, very worth it. Thank you so much. Right now, we got some bonus hookup on film for you. Tony and I are going to discuss new films, newish, I guess, that you can only see in the theaters. You can actually not see on streamers, despite our brand. That is Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Inishirin and Todd Field's Todd Field Pashfi S. Tar. But we're going to talk about the good film first. <laughs> the Banshees of Inishirin, starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Karen Condon, and Barry Keough. I absolutely love The Banshees of Inishirin. This is probably my gun to my head, my favorite film so far of 2022. Uh, Martin McDonough's fourth film after In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, it's a pretty simple story. It's these two dudes in early 19, uh, 20th century uh, Ireland on the small island of Inishirin. Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson uh, play Podrick and Colm, respectively. And Colm decides one day that after being lifelong friends with Podrick, he doesn't want to be friends no more. And that's the story, and that's it. <laughs> that was That was... You know, honestly, when I first heard this story and I first read, seen everything about this, I just didn't get how it was going to work. But I'm with you. The movie worked very, very well. It was awesome. And honestly, they all did a very good job in the movie. I mean, I absolutely love Barry Keogh's character, no, who awesome. who really like plays the village idiot. Um, <laughs> obviously, everyone in, in, is great. Um, Colin Farrell probably is the front runner right now to win best actor at the academy awards although the whale hasn't been released so we'll see 
Um, and obviously we don't know Brendan Fraser's performance, but you're right. It's it's such a simple story. You, I think at one point you mentioned like, oh, Colin Farrell's character must have done something in the past. And like he didn't. It's not like a story where like would they reveal like this fight that happened two weeks ago or something. Um, I don't want to give it away because it's such a relatively new film, but I mean, Calm gives Podrick an ultimatum, and like the movie just kind of kicks off from there and and you know, it's kind of a spoiler that he follows through on it. You're like, like horrified and intrigued at the same time. And Martin McDonough is such a smart and good writer. And he's, he's, he spent most of his career as a playwright, but he's had so many strong scripts before, even though this almost feels like a play, it's, it's beautifully cinematic. You see gorgeous shots of the beaches of the small Irish town um the dialogue is so smart it's it's got that martin mcdonough dark humor to it that just like is propulsive and carries this movie forward and it's it's so entertaining and fun and the, my one criticism is like i wish there were subtitles because that's a bit too much of the irish brogue there is um, there is times of that in the movie i definitely see that but I'm with you. I was shocked at how perfect the movie almost came across. Um, maybe this like, is. I thought there was just going to be so much more to it, and there wasn't. But that's what made it good. I think is that that shows you what a good filmmaker he was. Is that he didn't need to add all that extra stuff. I think it it shows you just how smart like the machinations are of the script. You know, obviously it's got that Martin McDonough flair to the dialogue. And I think Brendan Gleeson and especially Colin Farrell are just so adept at reading Martin McDonough's words. But you're right, like the, the plot that just keeps going and moving forward is 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 so simple. It's it's you know not overly complicated. It's it's very tight. Um, there are some stuff that happens in the you know first act that you know, like I said, Martin. Uh, excuse me calm like gives us ultimatum and holy shit does that ultimatum like really get that story going it's i was absolutely blown away by this movie and i think it's even more impressive that i ate too much popcorn and candy before and it was feeling kind of <laughs> sick and like i still enjoyed this movie that's so tough to do um i'm known to eat way too much popcorn with a lot of butter on it at the movie theater um, these two work so well together, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And I think this movie, you know, I think I wouldn't, would you have thought this would have been, like if he was telling you this was his follow-up to Three Billboards, considering what a big movie there this that was, I wouldn't have thought this would have been a movie he picked, but I'm glad he did it. Because again, it shows that he didn't have to go big, so big for the next movie too, to keep going big. He dialed it back and still was able to be successful. Um, again, on such a small, or I mean, and he wrote the script too, which is which was was very cool. Definitely liked the movie a lot. Definitely, I would give it the the thumbs up, multiple thumbs up. Yeah, I I have a four star rating system. This is like clearly a three and a half star film from like start to finish. Um, you know, earlier in the podcast, I talked about Three Ten to Yuma, which I think is a three and a half star, but is like four stars throughout of it and then i think the last act like lops off i have a star it's so bad 
versus Banshees is just consistently just operating at a high level throughout the entire production. I it I'm I absolutely love it. I I don't think it's a coincidence that like Martin McDonough's best films, I think his two best films are Banshees and In Bruges, which have both Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Um, and I think it's also not a coincidence that these best films aren't set in America. I think well, that's kind I, of- I, I, that 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 last statement was very, very, very strong. That was a strong statement right there, which we're going to let slide for tonight because we like this movie so much, and it's good. It's a good one. Um, I like that last movie a lot. You like, like three billboards? Like a lot, a lot. Like that's my kind of movie. Um, but that being said, I, I, it's hard to like. I like actually all four of the movies quite a lot. I I'm, I like I like all four too. I just I like three billboards the least. Why do you like three? In your opinion, why do you like that one the least? Just I think part of it was the American. I think I I don't think Martin McDonough as an Irishman has a good sense of truly America's culture to comment on America's culture. I think that was a big, the the whole, I think if you're going to talk about ineptitude of the American police, and I don't think he was the the person to do it. I I, I liked it. Like the the thing that I liked most is the story of grief, but I think there's a lot of America in it that, I just disagree with, and I don't think Martin McDonough like truly understands. Now, see, this is a this is a this is a super 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 hot take. I think this the, what you're what you're releasing here, and I think you know it's fair. You know, I mean, I understand that, but it won a lot of awards. And, and also, and this is actually again the first I've ever heard this. So. I'm glad it's on our podcast and I get to be a part of such great. Well, it's that's I'm also stealing it from the New York Times. So Oh, they oh they said that ooh, I'm a But I agreed with that take. I have to read that. Interesting. But that being said Regardless, Banshees is, is great. excellent. Check it out. Go watch it. Now I would highly recommend Banshees. If you have the choice between the Banshees of Inishirin or Tar, choose Banshees in part because I really did not like Tar. Now, why did you not like Tar? Let's start. Let's start there. Yeah, I, the main reason I didn't like Tar is the package the ideas came in, because okay. I think there's some good stuff about the genius myth and about cancel culture in it. But the first, I mean, you want to talk about a movie that's long? The first <laughs> two scenes are 45 minutes long, and it's. Like um, the first one is a a, a conversation she has with the New Yorker at an event where they literally have to describe in every detail this fictional person's life and career accomplishments. And then there's the conversation she has with Mark Strong um, about God knows what. And oh my God, it's so much exposition and it's so long. And I, I, I really like it was such a challenge to get into it. And then like once the scene at Juilliard happens and she starts to break the kid, it gets a little bit better. Um, there's also a shot where it was like 30 seconds of her just sitting in the balcony looking beleaguered, like, holy shit, this let's move it along, Todd Field. 
Yeah, this definitely was not uh, Little Children, which I enjoy quite. Love a Little Children. Yeah, this was definitely not. <laughs> was definitely not. Don't do not clip that last statement. Yeah, no, don't. No. <laughs> I love the movie it's Little movie. Children. It's a film. It's a film. <laughs> you know, I like um, Kate Blanchett quite a lot, um, but I'm with you on this movie. It it was a sludge. A sludge fest. It was like watching paint dry. Um, I actually thought the movie was going to be a lot better than what it was. It's too arty farty. Yeah, that's that's it. Too arty. But in in the most ineloquent way possible. It's but it's it's too much of an art house film. Yeah. This and and that's like what it was going for, and like that's why I think the critics. Love it because there is like a lot of good ideas in this movie. I do I do think that there's a lot of interesting conversations and interesting points that Field purposely leaves ambiguous and it's like a Rorschach test that I think is like, okay, I get why I've heard people talk so lovingly about it. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's just the, the package those ideas come in was really excruciating and like I I tried really hard to like it uh you know even after the painful 45 minutes of just two scenes I was like okay you know feeling is like making this a little bit more challenging and even still I'm like I I I really you know movies to me like need to have some sort of entertainment in it right like it isn't a book. It isn't a TV show. You know, it's, it's, it comes in this audio visual medium, this package that has to have at least some 40 minutes. It's, and it, it does not need to be. No, no it, it, you know, honestly, it's, you said it, it often confusing too, because this is his first movie yeah. since Little Children. Often wonder why people, I mean, that long to make another movie, but. I don't know what his person. Yeah, I was listening to an interview like where someone asked him like, "Why this movie?" He's like, "I don't know. I wrote a script," and like the <laughs> the movie studio just said yes. I was like, "Okay." Um, I mean, he's had projects like he was going to do well, this. You like, could get thing at you go and you could get what's her name to put her name on it. Keep Blanchett. Right. I mean, you pretty much. I mean, I if think... you got somebody else on this, it probably yeah. wouldn't have gotten to where it's at right now. I don't think. Yeah. Um... So it's weird. Like I think Kate Blanchett is probably going to win the Oscar for this. I'd be very surprised. And like on one, so it'll be her third win. And I'm like, on some level, it's like it's kind of frustrating because I'm like, uh, I'm all for like spreading out the awards. Like if someone gave like just as good a performance, you know, feel free to give it to them because they've never won. Yeah. But on the other hand, like Kate Blanchett, like does feel like an actress who deserves three academy awards too mm-hmm. she's like pretty excellent it's like yeah. it's hard to say a bad thing about it it's just i have such a hard time give like a feeling like someone deserves an oscar for a movie i really dislike and it's not her fault per se i should say it's really not her fault at all but at the same time it's like i don't want to award someone like who couldn't keep me compelled either, if that makes any sense. Like, okay, so the movie, 
it's trying to give you the impression that like, so what was your overall, what was the overall message in this movie that you got? So it's interesting. Like I actually feel like she should not have been canceled. And I think that's interesting because I think it's so easy to look at this movie and be like, she got what she deserved, Mm -hmm. which I feel like says more about me than the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, yeah, she was a jerk. She maybe abused her power a little bit too much, but did she deserve to not do that Mahler performance at the end? I don't know. I would have given it to her. Um, I yeah, was I like, mean, it, it's definitely looks under the 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 psyche of this this woman, which I think. Yeah, I it's mean, a character study. Yeah, you know, and it, but like you said, they could have cut they could have cut forty five off the top and it would have been there's absolutely no reason this movie couldn't have been two hours and been basically the exact same movie well yeah that beginning opening shot that you're talking about is that opening interview was so excruciating where some of it was like a little bit better right where like some of it was like you know they had to build up this fictional character right and like give her like explain her credits and her credentials like they say she's an EGOT winner and She's this amazing composer and conductor. So part of it, I get why the scene is there, but holy crap, dude. To, to, it felt like it was like an actual, like I was watching a YouTube video of the event itself. Like you are in a movie, get get the exposition in and out if you're going to do it that way. Um, but like, so the, it's a scene I think a lot of people are talking about where she's berating the kid at Juilliard. Yes. What's weird is that, like, I left, like, after that scene left, and in my mind, I was like, you know, Lydia Tarr has a point. I get where she's going with this. Like, I'm, by the way, I'm not like some MAGA cancel culture guy. Like, I'm 100% for like holding people accountable who do horrific things. Yeah. But I'm also like, maybe we go a little bit too far with some people, maybe. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I'm with you 100% on that. And so, like, it was like when she was talking, like, braiding the kid who didn't like Bach because he's like of his patriarchal views. I'm like, it reminded me of the people who want to cancel George Washington because he had slaves. I'm like, I get slavery's bad. I'm, I'm not, but like, we're just gonna completely rewrite these people from history too. I, I don't know. That's the way I feel. That's for a different subject, but. It's funny, yeah. like I watched that. I watched that. Scene I just, of I just are, like I agree with her, and then I heard other people. JK Simmons. Like she was pretty. I mean, don't you think J.K. Simmons was worse? As and a Whiplash. Teacher? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, considering, but Whiplash is, I think, a good exa- a counterpoint to this movie because I think it has similar themes. Yeah. And Whiplash is so much more entertaining, yeah. and it gets in and it gets out. Yeah, that's where I think this movie kind of could have did better at but, but the point sorry the point i was trying to make before is like i've heard some people like talk like watch that scene and just absolutely abhor lydia tar uh-huh. and i was like okay that's then pretty good filmmaking by todd field to have the same scene and have two legitimate two different reactions because she does go too far with it right yeah she like does. she's like she's an adult he's just a kid maybe you, sh- you shouldn't like really antagonize him but that's that's what I mean. Yeah. There, there's, 
there's really good stuff here. I love all that Rorschach stuff about the cancel culture, like how you really feel about little Lydia Tyre. I think it's super interesting. And I just wish the film was, was focused on that and was, you know, for lack of a better word, more mainstream. Yeah, that's true. And I will agree with you on that. Definitely needed to be a little bit more mainstream, but yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so if you're seeing movie C Banshees of Inishirin, we do not recommend Tar. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much. All right. Um, I should I don't realize that I think either segment I did our outros. Here it is, so, right here. Uh, we'll do it right now. Uh my name is Adam. You can follow me on Twitter at Millennial Socks. And my name is Tony, and you can find me at the Sugar Baggy. You can find the podcast on Twitter at the Hookup on Film. We have an Instagram account at the Hookup on Film Podcast. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you can watch us on YouTube. We're going to start doing more live shows, a recording live, and that's youtube.com backslash at the Hookup on Film. Tony, thank yeah. you so much for everything that you do for the podcast. Thank you for editing this episode. And I know you're going to edit this episode as we speak, but as people listen, thank you for editing it and all the hard work you put into this. Oh, Adam, thank you so much for always joining me on well, what would be our 42nd week. And like as I so as I showed you at the beginning, it's crazy when I look back at some of those tweets. We were talking months before we even started this about movies. It actually put a big smile on my face. I turned to my wife and I said, you know, this really is an awesome relationship that I didn't realize we were actually talking about movies that long before we actually started. In my head, it made it seem like I always made it seem like you just turned to me one day and was like, want to do a show? And I was like, uh, sure. We only talk like one time. But we actually have been talking a while. So thanks, my man. All right. Take care, man. I'll talk to you next week. Next week. Peace out. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you all again next week for more fun on the Hookup on Film.